he's what? He's running late. His flight was delayed. Mm. And he said we'll be here in like 30 minutes. Perfect. So, Great. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Hey, look at that. Hey, this thing has got the volume up. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for joining us here. Um, we're going to have ourselves a, a fundraiser. And uh, I will uh, preface this by saying, um, uh, let, you know, first, let me, before we get into this, because I want to talk to you about the weather. We have some guests that are delayed at the airport. And so um, we'll get to all that stuff. But first, I have got to say thank you, thank you, thank you to Rob Borowski who is, I tell you, man, he is giving his time and his uh, talent, mm -hmm. and he is doing an incredible job with technical issues that uh, I'm not even going to try to explain, <laughs> mostly because I don't even understand them. But um, thank you so much, Rob Borowski, uh, who is making this possible. Seriously, thank you. And thank you, Hillary Kennedy, hillarykennedy.com. Now, it's one L. Yes, one L. So okay. not to, listen, no one ever misspelled it until Hillary Clinton ran for president. And now everybody <laughs> misspells it. So uh, Hillary with one L. All right. So it's <laughs> HillaryKennedy.com with one L. And, and she is also giving her uh, time today and your talent. And I appreciate you doing that uh, because all we're trying to do is just raise money for veterans. That's, that's all we are uh, trying to accomplish today. And you guys, thank you to those of you who have been generously giving. We're already over $2,000 raised. That is amazing. And we haven't broadcast anything until this moment. You've already Seriously. had people be that generous. That is really cool. That is a testament to mm -hmm. uh, some great people out there talking to you and uh, so grateful. We're going to leave the fundraiser up, which is at givesendgo.com slash veterans in need. Givesendgo.com slash veterans in need. I thought I would leave that up through noon Eastern on Wednesday. Perfect. And then after that, we're going to take every cent, every cent that has been donated, and we're going to give half of it to the Mighty Oaks Foundation, and we're going to give half of it to the One Tribe Foundation, formerly 22 Kill. And we're going to do what we can uh, to help veterans because, my gosh, you guys and gals, thankless heroes, who don't have to do what you do and what you have done for this country. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Yes, and thank you to all of your family members too, because we know yeah. that it really is when someone's in the military, the whole family is in the military. <laughs> That's, you know, it, it affects everybody. So it's very we're, true. we're so appreciative of your service. And, and those of you who support those who've been in the arms too, it's just been incredible to see. How many people have been celebrating Veterans Day this year? I've yeah. seen a lot Doesn't of it, yeah. on I, social media. I feel so like this year, for whatever reason, yeah, it's people like this year, really have been showing a lot of support, and I love it. I noticed that, too. And if you're watching this live, it's just after 2 o'clock Eastern on Veterans Day. In fact, it doesn't matter when you're watching this. It's never too late to thank a veteran in your life. Give them a call. Just tell them thank you. And it's it's Good conversation starter. You haven't talked to somebody in a while, too. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Other people I want to thank. Uh, Ian Patterson, who is a friend of mine, uh, who was a guest. I'm surrounded by guests from At The Mike Show, uh, by the way. Oh. I'd like to point this out. Rob Borowski, uh, Hillary Kennedy, uh, Laura Black, 
who is making charcuterie, uh, setting up the charcuterie board for our guests in the other room. What the heck is charcuterie? Yeah, I said, we do what the heck is that? It's, it's a speak English. It's a lovely feast. <laughs> uh, and of course, Ian Patterson, who was instrumental in the um, uh, Operation Pineapple, you know, to get good people out of Afghanistan. Yes. He was instrumental in that. So um, surrounded by some good people who are giving their time today. And, uh, and, and honestly, if you cannot give, I, I know times are tough. I, I, you don't have to, I got it. Your prayers, honestly, just your prayers for veterans uh, would be greatly appreciated. Uh, and again, the website, and feel free to share this website with uh, anybody you want to share it with, quite frankly. It's givesendgo.com slash veterans in need. So we had some guests that were lined up here. We're gonna have uh, we're gonna have Jacob Schick from uh, One Tribe. We're gonna have Hunter Robichaux from Mighty Oaks. But we've got an issue in Dallas right now, and it's the weather. The, this is the second. You were just out there. The yes, it's awful out there. <laughs> yeah, it is it's, not fun. It's cold. It's raining. It's amazing because it was like in the 80s earlier this week, and then today it's in the 40s, and Seriously. it's pouring down rain, and it's yeah. cold. So it's caused some flight delays. And mm -hmm. uh, the Veterans Day parade in downtown Dallas, I believe, was canceled because of the wet. So they've just lots of things have been kind of rearranged or pushed back or delayed. So that's what happened with yeah. some of our guests. Yeah. So Jacob's coming from another event. And the driving conditions are impossible. And Hunter is, his flight is delayed, and he is, uh, he's trying to uh, get over here from the airport. Well, what I love about having this time though is to kind of go over what their organizations do, yes. what they're about. Because yeah. I will be completely honest, I had heard of both organizations, but I really didn't know anything specific about them. I'd heard people mention the name, or I'd seen it on social media. But it wasn't until we were kind of preparing things for today that I looked into what Mighty Oaks and One Tribe Foundation actually do. And it's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And if people want to check it out for themselves, because I want you to tell us all about them. Um, it's uh, Mighty Oaks. Uh, what, what is it? Mighty Oaks Foundation. Uh, Mighty Oaks Programs. Uh, yeah, MightyOaksPrograms.org. MightyOaksPrograms.org if you'd like to see what they do over there. And then it's also uh, OneTribeFoundation.org, and that's the number one, OneTribeFoundation.org. Yeah, what are some of the stuff that they do for veterans? Yeah, I thought this was awesome. So um, I'll start with Mighty Oaks. They have these instructional sessions. They have, like, team-building activities. They have a bunch of programs that teach those who have been in, you know, devoted their lives to service to overcome their past experiences and move forward in their lives. And just all of the different testimonials from people that have attended some of their events or their workshops or whatever, it's really neat because it's not just the people who attended, but like a lot of the family members said, I felt like I got my husband back or my wife back or my son back because they returned home and just were a shell of who they were before. And so it's so nice that it's at no cost to that veteran, which Incredible. I think is so cool. Um, and they, to echo what you said earlier, they said, you know, even if you don't have money to give, because it costs, it roughly costs about $2,500 per person to attend an event like this. But they were saying the money, yeah, that's important. But the most important thing that they ask for is prayer. Because oh, they're yeah. like, these people, you know, not just the people who are attending, but also the people who work for Mighty Oaks who are putting it together, who are like hosting these trainings. They also need your prayers too, because most of them are former attendees of a Mighty Oaks. Oh, cool. Event. Yeah, which I think is really cool because they're someone who have, they've been yeah. through the program and they know how it works. So. Yeah, I, uh, 
I, I cannot imagine what it's like to be a veteran and to honestly just offer yourself to your country. And, and I'm sincere when I say thank you so much, but it's not like they just go and, and serve their time. And then now, now everything's great. Now I'm getting back into the real world. And no, I mean, there are so many challenges that, that we don't even think of just as regular Americans that, that haven't sacrificed like that. You come back and, and in a lot of cases, you're dealing with some serious stuff, whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual. I mean, the, the kind of, of fights that, that they have to, to battle after yes. their service are, in many cases, just life and death on their own. Right. And and that's why these groups, like Mighty Oaks, so and One Tribe, that's why they need our support so that they can go and offer these programs to support our troops. Well, and I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, with our guests later too, but you know, we looked up all of these different Yeah. These are stats shocking. on on veterans and it says veterans are at 57% higher risk of suicide than those who haven't served. 57%. I mean, that's it's more than one and a half times the national average. So that's a, that's a really scary statistic. 125,000 veterans died by suicide since 2001. It's the second leading cause of death in veterans under the age of 45. So that is why what 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 the One Tribe Foundation and Mighty Oaks what they're doing is so important because they really are saving lives. They're not just yeah. helping people get through something, but they're actually saving lives, which I think is incredible. I think one of the more stunning things um, when it comes to talking about veteran suicides is the One Tribe Foundation, and we can talk to Jacob about this, is it? they used to go by the name 22 Kill because according to, uh, I believe it was the, um, uh, it, was a, it was a stat from, uh, yeah, the uh, Department of Veteran Affairs were saying that 22 veterans a day were dying by suicide. Uh, this was back in 2012. I, I, that, that, that just is shocking. It is, it's mind blowing. Yeah, and by the way, I wanted to, I wanted to throw this out there. Uh, if you're a veteran who is struggling um, with depression or just thoughts of suicide, or you know someone who may be. I wanted to give out the National Suicide Prevention Hotline phone number. Uh, please take advantage of this. It's 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255, or you can send a text message to 838-255, 838 uh, Please seek help if you, if you, even think you might need it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and another thing we will talk to Jacob about is he's been there where he was at the point where he wanted to uh, empty his magazines, take his guns, give it to a friend of his just because he wasn't trusting himself. So he's been down these dark roads right. before. Uh, I, I would like to actually, I want to introduce Ian Patterson. I'm going to drag <laughs> you over here, sir. And you know what? Uh, in honor of my dad and my grandfather, and well, you, since uh, we don't have any Air Force-related guests today, I'm going to represent the Air Force here. There we go. Uh, so anyhow, uh, Ian Patterson, uh, thanks for getting these guys uh, to, to be a part of this. And I, man, I just, uh, I appreciate everybody that is doing something here for this. 
and and I appreciate you for your service as well, man. I know you and I have talked uh, in the past. Um, you were a big part. Operation Pineapple? Task Force Pineapple. Task Force Pineapple. I knew I had that wrong. <laughs> I mean, you got to – first of all, please tell us about your work with that, and then we've got more uh, questions, of course, what we're doing here today. So Task Force Pineapple, I fell into it. Um, obviously, we knew the quagmire that was going on in Afghanistan last year during the epic failure of a pullout. Um, you know, obviously, all of us had been there for years and years and years. As a nation, we've been there for decades. And we all knew somebody who needed to get out. Yeah. Um, I was working. Yeah, a lot of good people. I was working families. Um, and kind of what got me started, it, kind of a backstory. I'll never forget... I was in Jalalabad, Afghanistan, and we had three brothers who were barbers. And when the Taliban started to roll through and start to make the push back in weeks before the withdrawal, uh, reached out to one of my contacts there. Hey, are these people all right? Well, I don't know about these people. What about these people? Well, the three brothers were our barbers there at uh, Fab Fenty or Jalalabad, as everybody just called it, the airfield. Um, I think one was 14, one was 18, and one was like 21. So they were, pretty, they were all pretty young. This is back in 2007 to 2009. Um, but we heard one of the first things they did when they found out that the brothers worked on the base and cut hair is they hung all three of them in front of their families. And who knows what else, but that's what the story that we got. Um, had some interpreters and some things like that that we were trying to get out. I picked up a former interpreter in a family that we were basically playing cat and mouse with the uh, Taliban in... Um, Kabul with, and then had another family reach out to me. He was the head of uh, rural development for Afghanistan, but he was also part of the United Nations. Uh, he held a role with the United Nations. Had older gentleman recently had a stroke. His nephew was here and was in Canada. Um, next thing you know, um, Zach Lois, who, if you've read the book or if you've seen much of the story, Scott Mann was obviously the kind of face of it. Um, Zach Lois was the operational mind and background of it. Okay. Zach's a good buddy of mine from rugby. And uh, we got to talking. I'm not day. surprised that Ian right. plays rugby, by the way. <laughs> I just want to point out. He also plays hockey. Well, I mean, I wouldn't have thought croquet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, so these guys, um, Zach and I got to talking and through it, just randomly through a different connection within the field, he's like, hey, we're doing this. And at first I was uh, working on fundraising. My wife was doing some of the marketing. Um, and then as we started to set up more so as a um, organization, um, I ended up moving over to Operation Recovery, which was the funding side of Task Force Pineapple. Okay. Um, still, we have about 4,500 to 6,000 Afghanis that we are still assisting with. That's from clothing to food to... Um, medical to basically hiding and keeping these people moving and doing what we need to do ultimately trying to still get them out of still the try to get them out of the country over a year um, later. Uh, and it's going to be you know and let's you know if we're going to talk politics uh basically the entire focus uh the administration in washington has um basically said forget about these folks our concern is ukraine so uh, the entire focus of the u.s government is ukraine and for lack of better words, be damned with uh, our other failures. Let's mm -hmm. let's work on another failure now. Mm -hmm. So, um, and now with Operation Recovery, we are 
still doing our fundraising and our stuff for uh, Afghanistan and keeping these people afloat. But now we're doing uh, we're setting up aid, aid, aid bases in Poland, uh, Bulgaria, Moldova to assist with the children and things like that. We're working with some other organizations that are going in for mine clearing and as well. And, and that task force, Pineapple, that was, correct me if I'm wrong, that was, you're basically your ticket that, that you know, you knew that these were good guys you were dealing with. Yeah. They had to show you a picture of a pineapple yeah. to get past you. Right? Yep. So it's just an ingenious it, thing it was it, it was either verbal or the photo of the pineapple. And that's how you knew who to, that's who the internal contact knew who uh -huh. to get over the wire. Gotcha. So, so you guys obviously had these relationships over there and wherever we have gone, you have nurtured these relationships. And I mean, that, yes, uh, the, the connections you have with your brothers, I mean, that's one thing, but now you feel like you've left these, like you haven't left these good people behind, but it's got a weigh on you guys constantly that these good people that, that in many cases help save American lives are left over there. And, and that's the kicker. You know, people don't understand, you know, our motto is U.S. military. We all know it. No one left behind. Yeah. You always go back for the fallen or, you know, even today we're still finding Vietnam veterans, still finding World War II veterans remains and going back in. Well, I mean, these interpreters, these people mm -hmm. work side by side with us right. day in, day out. And we left in the middle of the night and left these people and they're targets. They're not looked kindly upon with uh, through the Taliban and other um, organizations, ISIS and everything else that's spinning up within Afghanistan, Al Qaeda. I mean, they're not they're 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 frowned upon, and they'll go to their families and say, you know, turn him over, or we'll kill all of you. You know, they'll they'll execute entire generations of family just to get to one. And it's, you know, they they were one of us. Yeah, did they train with us and things like that and bring brought up? But no. But had it not been for the interpreters sure. and some of these guys. And some of the special operations guys that we worked with, there would be none of the uh, the missions and the captures and things like that that we had without them. So, so it it it's another thing that has to just weigh on a soldier mentally when you come back here. Mm -hmm. Of of like you feel, and again, it, it is not. It's not the, the fault of our veterans, our troops. It, has, it is not theirs. But I know you guys have such honor that you probably internalize that. I, I would assume that it weighs on, on the guys coming back to keep thinking about who they did leave behind. Um, it, it can't help. It can't help the, the stuff, the struggles that they have uh, to begin with. No, exactly. And then, you know, you have a, a major policy failure and now you get guys who, you know, for lack of better words, that was their prime or that was their peak. And they, they lost a major piece of themselves. So that was in combat, you know, whether it was a limb or, yeah. you know, the PTSDs and the different struggles that the guys come back for. And now you just middle of the night and do it in a complete way that just yeah. disregards everything. I mean, everything that we had accomplished over the 20 years there was gone in days. And, you know, just this, a simple tweak of not going into the airport in Kabul, which is basically, I mean, you and I have discussed this. 
Kabul is the Alamo. It's in the middle of the city, the airport, CAF. There, you can do nothing there. I mean, you're just, you're on an island, mm -hmm. so to speak. 30 miles away, we had the largest airfield, combat airfield in the world at Bagram. This is 30 miles away. Heartbreaking. And we we completely abandoned Bagram, left the prisoners in the prison. And the first thing the Taliban did was go get their high value targets, open up the prisons and go. And I mean, it was even with minimal staffing and force, we could have held Bagram, got all the people that we need to get in and out through Bagram and a 24 hour operation versus running it out of an airport. Whereas we saw with the bombing that killed the 13, 12 or 13 Marines there at the gate, that could have all been stopped just by putting them at uh, Bagram. Could they have gotten to the gate at Bagram? Yeah. Would it maybe have saved most of those lives? More than likely. Just because of the way the security of the base was set up. You knew it was coming. Literally in, I wouldn't even say that gate is probably closer than these two buildings are right here as we speak. There's no time to react. Yeah. We're coming into the gates of Bagram. It was miles of straight road and hundreds of yards between the last building and where the checkpoints and things like that set. I mean, you would have had to go through checkpoint, checkpoint, checkpoint to get there. And, you know, and I think the big thing that affects most veterans of this whole thing is what did I give a piece of my life or a piece of yeah, my, men my, my mental capacity for? for 20 years. I wonder, I want to know, like, what do you do with the anger and frustration that you yeah. feel? Because and, it makes me angry. And okay, that's exactly what I was going to say. And I, I wasn't someone that exactly. saw it firsthand. Exactly so what I was going to say. As an American, imagine. I'm angry. I didn't serve. I cannot imagine what you guys are right. going through. You know, everybody internalizes it and looks at it differently, right? Just like we all do with all different aspects. You know, personally, was I angry? I was super uh, over the top when all this went down. Um, but you have to take a step back. What they're doing today or what they did, last, we'll say last year, isn't what we did for the 20 years preceding that. Mm -hmm. You know, we made an impact on the lives of those people that um, during our time, you know, we, we can't look back and say, well, well, why now? Right. For the time that we were there and each individual troop, soldier, sailor, marine, airman, we made an impact while we were there. And we made it for the better while we were there. Yeah. yeah. You know, the frustrating part now, and as opposed to saying, well, I lost buddies die, I lost buddy, you know, I lost buddies for what? Mm -hmm. Well, the for what was what we were accomplishing while we were there. Yeah. And you have to internalize it as that versus it becoming because it'll consume you it'll it'll literally consume your thoughts and uh the same in iraq i mean iraq turned as soon as you know we pulled out of iraq iraq turned for the worse and now they're buddy buddy with iran and it's um you have to you have to think of it as a point in time mm -hmm. your point in time you made it better yeah. you know I, I i i look and it's my favorite story in afghanistan i had i had two very good Afghani friends, I would consider a guy named Haji Guljan, who was our uh, everything guy. Anything you wanted, anything you needed, you could get from Haji Guljan. And you just go to his little bazaar, his little shop on the other side of the airfield. And uh, but once Haji Guljan got to know you, he wouldn't say a word to you until you sat down and had a cup of tea with him.
And you'd sit and I, and I would just go over there when I had time and I'd just sit and talk and talk about what it was like um, during because uh, growing up there and then from the Russians to mm-hmm. the Americans and uh, how much and he would always say how much better his life was and stuff like that now versus then. Um, and this this man was so protected. He would sell you something if you had no money and write a paper IOU. But if you left without paying him, he would turn it into the commander at Jalalabad <laughs> and the commander at Jalalabad would forward it on to your commander and have you arrested until you paid. That's awesome. That's <laughs> yep. He was, he was yeah. a businessman. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then uh, there's special operations guys uh, that we call them the Murph. They're in Jalalabad that I worked with. Uh, they had a cook and a cook had a young son. It was just him and his son um, and a cook. Uh, walked with a really poor limp, couldn't figure out. And then just one day you couldn't speak English, but you always, you know, when you, I literally, my, my hut that I lived in was right next to his little facility, I guess, where they lived and he would cook and, you know, you'd have a little, you'd know, a little bit of Pashto, you'd know a little bit of English and you'd try to talk to what you could. Sure. Had my mom send a soccer ball over to the kids. Oh, nice. But when you got talking and they wear the long gowns, the traditional Afghani dress, He's like, Americans good, Taliban bad. And I and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, no, you don't understand. I'm like, no. And he pulls his dress up. And the region of Afghanistan he was from in the north, the Taliban had tried to get in. And he just happened to be a bystander. And they thought it would be funny one day to try to blow his leg off with an AK-47. And obviously, he still saved his, they were able to save his leg. But almost all of the quadricep and hamstring had been completely and it was just a Taliban playing a game to try to literally shoot the man's leg off. And, but they were so friendly. Like every time I'd walk by, he'd wave me over and he'd offer food. I'm like, not, nah, no, no, no. And then you can't, but in their culture, you can't say no. No, no. And I have no idea what I'm eating, but it was <laughs> night. Everything I ate was amazing, whether, whether, whether I knew what it was or not. But, uh, but I learned a lot about the culture and the stuff. And you, and I, and I think back and that's what I went there for. You know, we went there to protect our way of life and, uh, you know, to get the people out from, you know, the Al Qaeda and stuff like that. Sure. But th- for me, that's how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm frustrated that we are where we are. But in the whole, um, we did good. And in the same in Iraq, we did good. We did good for those people. And um, but it's, it's a tough one. There's guys. I mean, I know guys who saw some pretty yeah. that just then to this day, they still can't. And I want you, cause you're going to be sitting in this chair in a little bit. And when you are, I want you to talk about some of the stuff that, that you do, because you mentioned the rage could consume you. And I would imagine that you have to find your buddies, you know, find people who have gone through these kind of experiences and, 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 just talk right and just and keep yourself distracted like because i want you to talk about the hockey stuff that you do later yeah um uh, so so be prepared uh we're gonna put you in this chair and and right now i think we actually have a guest here huh come on in hunter robo show right thank you so much from mighty oaks foundation thank you come on in thank you ian yeah we're gonna have you back over all right which one have a seat right here that's fine man thanks for i mean i know you've been battling this monsoon yeah yeah. And, uh, i appreciate it so much uh, yeah. uh hunter robo show and um it's mighty oaks programs.org yep mighty oaks programs.org yeah so this 
Correct me if I'm wrong. Your dad started this. My dad did. Yes. Okay, Chad. He's a hero, man. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we appreciate you guys doing what you do over there. And we cannot wait to send half of these donations to your organization because, you know, we've been to the website. We, you know, we know what you guys are doing over there. But we want you to tell us because there's people right now watching this live stream and maybe they're thinking, all right, I want to I wanna help out, but I don't really know a lot about these groups. Could you please tell us what Mighty Oaks does? Yeah, absolutely. Is there, where's the camera? At? You're on this camera. Yeah, all right, there you awesome. are. Well, thank you all for the, uh, tuning into this and thank you for having me here. Sure thing, so Mighty Oaks is, is quite remarkable with what we do. We've been around since 2000, the end of 2010. Okay. And this is when my father came back from his deployments. He obviously was struggling with post-traumatic stress from the things that he challenged within his life from childhood to going into the military, dealing with things in the military and ultimately finding hope and healing through Christ and starting Mighty Oaks. Mm -hmm. Since Mighty Oaks started in 2010, we've been able to serve over 200,000 active duty service members that are stationed on bases and go to them and provide resiliency events. And then with that, we run a program called the Legacy Program. So we have 35 to 40 programs per year. We've had over 4,500 graduate, graduates through our program, and not one of them has paid a single dollar to come through our program. That is incredible. Yeah. And the reason they haven't paid a single dollar is because we raise money to get them to our program for free. So, like, hypothetically, I mean, the money that you're getting from this live stream, this fundraiser today, which, by the way, I haven't said this in a while, givesendgo.com slash veterans in need. Uh, you take that money and then you're just able to help veterans and their families through that. Exactly. So to send one veteran through our program, it costs $2,500. That includes their flight to and from home to our program and all the food, everything that we provide at the program, that's what the $2,500 is. Kind of in a nutshell, they're like a thumbnail sketch of what this program does like a veteran yes. comes they to show you. up and then yeah, yeah take it from there yeah so we'll start with the application process okay. so they go into our website mightyoaksprograms.org and they apply for the program once they apply for the program they're contacted within 24 hours from one of our um, pro uh, applications program managers okay. so they'll be contacted and they'll be slated for a program once they're slated for a program they, we bring them to one of our five facilities across the United States and we go, we start on a Monday and end on a Friday and we are a peer to peer based mentorship program that leads men through um, biblical manhood. That's what we really base Mighty Oaks off of. It's not a clinical approach. It's, Hey, I've struggled with this in my life. You might be struggling with this in your life right now. Look at what I did differently in my life to get to where I'm at now. And we walk alongside of these guys. Mm -hmm. We we walk them walk them through classes like character, discipline, uh, money and possessions, uh, a lot of things that guys might struggle with that were in the military or just everyday common struggles. We walk through these through these chapters of our program with them and lead them to a, a, a path to authentic manhood. So after that week that they spend with you guys, um, are there? Are there resources that they can access after the fact? Um, so we have a full aftercare team. Oh, wow. So for the, the day that they graduate to exactly one year after they graduate, 
they're contacted at least once a week by one of our aftercare um, team members. But that's just like skimming the surface. Right, right. Yeah, right. we have outposts all across the United States. So wherever they live, we find a church for that man or woman that comes through our program. Wow. We get them connected into that church. We get them connected into an outpost. We get them connected into other organizations that might be in their area yeah. that we're not in because we don't want to take all the credit. There's m many organizations in the United States that are doing amazing and great work. So if we can pass some of these guys off to these other organizations, we want to be able to spread the word out that there is hope and healing for veterans and first responders that, that are hurting. Sure. Yeah. Well, and I've had a lot of close friends that have served and I feel like one of the biggest challenges is, you know, if you serve, you're taught to be mentally, emotionally, physically tough. Mm -hmm. And they said it can be really hard to reach out and ask for help or say, I need help yeah. or admit that they need help. So that's one part of it. But I also love what you guys are doing is you're making it so simple to get that help. Once they are able to get to a place where they're like, hey, I, I want to apply. I would like to attend. You're making it easy for them to come and get that help without having to worry about the financial aspect. Because I feel like a lot of times people get to a place where mm -hmm. they go, OK, I'm ready to admit that I, I could use some help or some guidance. But then financially, that's such a barrier yeah, yeah. sometimes for people. So I love that you guys take that barrier away too, so that you know people can go. Is that the hardest step? Getting someone to reach out to just say, "Hey, I need help." Is that is that the hardest? It can be. Uh -huh. It can be sometimes. It depends on the person itself. Um, sometimes you'll have a wife apply for their husband because mm. their husband is like, "I don't need any help," and I'm not going to go to a, an organization that talks about Jesus. Well, their wife applies for them, and they're like. I'm leaving you or you're going to the program. They come to the program and then their wife is like, he's the most amazing human being I've ever met on the planet. So you run into two types of guys, guys that are just like, I was forced to come to this program. I had no other option. And guys are like, this is my last chance. I was going to kill myself two days ago. And for some reason, an ad popped up on Facebook when I was looking through Facebook. That's what I want to ask you. Yeah. How are you reaching these veterans how how are they finding out about you obviously we're doing this live stream and i hope that it reaches if it reaches one person and saves one veteran's life yeah definitely um but yeah i just wonder how do you guys go about so, I guess, marketing yeah our the word of mouth for mighty oaks is uh -huh. is awesome because people don't stop talking about it that's good um that's that's an amazing thing about us also our marketing are the way we market mighty oaks we like do massive um, blasts on social media. Okay. Obviously my dad is always on the news and like all <laughs> over the media. So every time he talks about something, he's talking about Mighty Oaks as well. Good. And so he has a big social media presence. So if he's able to blast out Mighty Oaks, it's going to start to trickle down everywhere. So media is where we get most of our stuff. And then the military itself okay, good. actually sends guys on good. orders to our program. I was actually wondering that. And, and that was one of the questions I was going to ask you guys today is, does the military, does it actually uh, actively promote you guys as far as, hey, you know, here's a resource that you might need? Or if there's a, I hope there's a relationship there. It sounds like there, there is. is. That's yeah. It, it started with the Marine Corps. So it started with Wounded Warrior Battalion West, okay. which was originally like our, our main, like when we started this, that was like our main pull to get guys to come to our program because we had our foot in the door with them and they saw what we were doing. Actually, our national programs director, Brandon Kunith, he came from Wounded Warrior Battalion West. Oh, wow. 
And so he came through the whole pipeline and he's really who he has a massive impact on what our national programs is now. So to see how our relationship with the military has grown from Wounded Warrior Battalion West, just the Marine Corps originally to the Air Force, Navy and all the other branches. Mm -hmm. We have very like high connections in the SEAL community. So we're always in Coronado doing stuff and the Coronado is always sending guys over to us. We are very involved in the chaplain program within both of MCRD Paris Island and MCRD San Diego, which is the two recruit depots for the Marine Corps. My dad goes and speaks there every quarter oh, at good. both of those locations Excellent. so that we're able to get the word out to Mighty o about Mighty Oaks to these recruits that are just going into the Marine Corps so that they're able to know that there's help. Back of their mind the whole yeah. time, huh? Yeah. See, and, and I'm glad to hear you say that there is that, that relationship because I, I was hoping there wasn't going to be some sort of uh, hesitancy between the government and yeah. you guys. And I'm so grateful to hear that it sounds like they know from the get-go yeah hey, you guys need to be aware of this um i know your dad served he was your dad a navy seal my dad was a recon marine recon, okay yeah. and what um, i know he's you a third generation marine <laughs> yeah. sorry yeah. Marine family. <laughs> I, I apologize i, I should have known that yeah because i know you guys are both veterans right yeah and and i would love to hear your story um and just but it <laughs> I would just love to hear your own um, experience. And yeah. if you want to share it, I realize military guys, you, you make it awkward when you start saying, talk about yourself. But at the same time, I'm just getting to know you from this conversation right here. And I would love everyone else to, to have an opportunity to meet you as well. You know? Yeah, for sure. Well, like, I, I, like you said, I'm a third generation Marine. <laughs> like the Hank Thank Williams you. song, it's a, it's a family tradition. Yeah, I couldn't. I had no other choice for yeah, me. No choice, <laughs> yeah. Uh, my grand so my my grandfather served with the Marine Corps in Vietnam and he uh got out of the Marine Corps after Vietnam. He joined originally because he was driving his friends in a car to high school and they got in a an accident and all three of his friends died. Oh. So he originally joined to go to Vietnam to die, but he oh. he realized that he liked like being in the Marine Corps and it was his purpose. So he ended up making it through Vietnam. Um, he was small like me, so they made him a tunnel rat, of course. So he he came back, had my dad, and then years later, my dad joined the Marine Corps. And um, growing up, like around my dad and all of his buddies and him going do stuff and in Afghanistan and all the other countries, I was like, I want to do that. So I started training, like basically from when I was a little kid to become a Marine. And uh, in 2014, I joined the Marine Corps. Okay. And that was like, I finally found my, my calling in life. Uh -huh. I, I thought at the time, cause I was like, this is what I've always wanted to do. Uh -huh. And so I became a forward observer in the Marine Corps. I went to a unit called third Anglico. Um, our primary mission at that unit was to provide close air support, naval gunfire and artillery. We would be the guys on the ground that would call it in. Okay. So in 2019, um, I got to deploy to Afghanistan. Um, it was like the last year that the U.S. military was actually able to to still do stuff. Uh, Trump was in office. General Mattis was our sec secretary of defense. Okay. So our hands weren't necessarily tied behind our back like they were with the Obama administration and our current administration. Okay. So I finished up my deployment in Afghanistan and I came back and uh, it was about my time to decide if I was going to reenlist in the Marine Corps because I signed a six year contract. Um, if I was going to reenlist or if I was going to get out and 
I was thinking about getting out and becoming a pilot, mm -hmm. like going to the Air Force and trying to fly. Okay. Um, but I just felt like this tug in my heart, like I need to do something that's more involved with guys that have struggled in the way I've struggled. Because when I got back from that deployment, I felt like my sense of purpose and hope and like my mission task was gone. I felt like there was nothing for me to do. And I felt like if I would have went back into the military to be a pilot, it would have been me chasing a dream that would ultimately lead to the same area I was in. Yeah, I think I would absolutely love flying a, a jet at this sound or the speed of sound. <laughs> like that's awesome right, to me. Yeah. But I think I would have been right back to where I was when I got back from Afghanistan because it was not an easy deployment. We we had some very challenging times. So I uh, talked to my dad and I was like, Hey, like, what would it look like if I worked for Mighty Oaks? And he's like, I've been waiting for this question forever. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so there was a, a pastor that was really involved in our lives at the time, uh, Pastor David Baird. He passed away last year, but he was really mentoring me through this, these few months of don't give up. Your, your purpose is going to come back. And once you find your purpose, it's going to be even stronger than it was in the Marine Corps. And it was more than true. So I began working for Mighty Oaks. I started in a really ground level position. Sure. Um, I, I've never been given any handouts, especially working for my dad. He's like one of the hardest people to work for. <laughs> I can't imagine yeah. he would. I mean, yeah. he's got a military dad. <laughs> yeah. So my, my original job for Mighty Oaks was just calling donors saying, thank you for your donations. Like, mm -hmm. I appreciate what, what you do for Mighty Oaks and yeah. thank you so much. And I mean, it's amazing to see like when I was in that position to, to be so humbled by people. Um, I'll never forget of this one gentleman I talked to in Marietta, Georgia. I won't say his name. That's my but, hometown. Really? Marietta, Georgia, Northwest of Atlanta. That's, yes, sir. That's wild. Walton High School. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I was talking to this guy. And he's like, I, I don't have a lot of money. I live off Social Security, but I feel God has been putting it on my heart for the past five years to give every month to Mighty Oaks what I can. Wow. And the man would give $25 a month to Mighty Oaks. And he doesn't make a lot of money, sure, but that $25 adds up. And like that, that just like hit my heart so much because people can be so selfless in certain ways and just mm -hmm. give what they can. I talked to one of our, and I talked to one of our biggest donors and this guy's like a mentor to me too. Like I do a lot of international work, which I'll get into mm -hmm. with him. But, uh, He's like, man, Mighty Oaks wouldn't be able to to operate if you didn't have donors like that. Yeah, yeah. I, and, and, and that's one thing I, I want to take the occasion here. Um, uh, one person today, because uh, my day job is at the Blaze uh, with Pat Gray Unleashed, and somebody during the program this morning donated $18 because that's a funny number on the show that we're just 18. We're always saying 18, Okay. And so I've noticed as the day has gone on, there have been so many people who have given $18. And it just makes me smile every time I see one of these $18 donations come in. Yeah. Because it doesn't have to be a lot. And if you can't give anything, like I said earlier, your prayers are so appreciated. These veterans need our prayers. But if it's something where you want to give, but you think, look, I, I can't afford this or something. Whatever. I always think like if I didn't go buy Starbucks or I didn't run through Chick-fil-A, you know, a couple of times next week yeah. or a couple of times this month and I donated that instead, I can give up 
getting a coffee or getting a six pack of chicken nuggets. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and it could make such a big difference because there's some little things, little little luxuries in life that we could do without and, yep. and use that money to get. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on one moment here. Can I, can, is Jacob available? Yeah. Hey, come on in here. Uh, don't go anywhere because right. we still want to talk to you. Okay, Hunter. <laughs> Uh, Jacob Schick from OneTribeFoundation.org. Hello. Have a seat, sir. Thank you. I know the weather has been insane, and we appreciate you uh, <laughs> fighting through the monsoon to get here. Yeah. Uh, OneTribeFoundation.org. That's the number one. Correct. For the website. Um, thanks for making it. And and please just tell us what your organization does to help veterans um, that have gone through unspeakable things. And, and I want to talk to you about your story in a moment as well. But first, okay, talk sure. about this yeah. uh, organization. Uh, we actually started as 22 Kill mm -hmm. and uh, started the 22 Push-Up Challenge in uh, 2013. And, of course, it went viral after The Rock did it. I mean, <laughs> that helps things, yeah. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> tens of thousands of people did it before The Rock, all over the world. Um not that we're not grateful for that. We are we're thankful for the rug doing that. And uh, But it was never set up for monetary gain. It was set up for awareness. You know, We knew that there was a problem within the warrior community, and we were burying our friends. We wanted the world to know this was a problem. And you can't change a problem without education. And so that's where the 22 Push-Up Challenge was birthed. And then, then came 22 Kill. And uh, we started receiving a lot of support and we decided, look, we gotta, we gotta do something with this. I mean, if we're gonna help these warriors live a life well lived, we keep our hands on them all the way through their journey through healing. And so, we ended up establishing a traditional and several non-traditional wellness programs that are strictly focused on mental and emotional wellness. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. And uh, just a year ago, a little over a year ago, we transitioned over to One Trap Foundation meaning the human trap. And that's because we serve veterans, military, law enforcement officers, frontline healthcare workers, uh, <clears throat> first responders, and their families. And so, you know, we, we needed a, a more inclusive name to let these men and right. women that and, serve know that they can come to us. And by the way, 22 kill, mm -hmm. we mentioned earlier, that was because uh, the Veterans Department Estimated yes, twenty-two veterans a day. Veterans a day. It, that was in twenty twelve. They came out that study. Twenty two a day. Suicide. Yeah, you know, and we and we've I've heard from a lot of people saying, you know, it's not the actual number. And I'm like, no kidding. I mean, it's a government study. Like Probably we're higher. like it's yeah. I mean, we yeah. we're we're not naive to that fact. One is too many, period. Yes. And so the number, you know, we were the were the original twenty two whatever. And then you saw a lot of them pop up and, and a lot of them still doing stuff. And it's great. I mean, it takes all of us. You know, the reason, again, one tribe is human tribe. We all bleed red. I mean, that's not a coincidence. We're all connected by default. So how did you get, how did, how did you feel this calling? You know, because uh, I read a story about you uh, uh -oh. walking into a 7-Eleven. Oh, here we go. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Does that sound familiar? And, and, and uh, I didn't tell the story. Oh. But yeah, this is yeah. It's but go ahead, yeah. No, I don't want to. <laughs> no, tell, uh, say the story. Say okay. the story. Where you um, you gave a homeless man um, some money, and um, and told him that he mattered. Um, yeah. I mean that that's what I read, and and you made him realize that yeah, you matter, and and that seemed like according to the story, that's kind of what got everything started for you. 
Um, if that's not accurate, then no. I mean, it's it, it started well before that. Okay. Uh, you know, because you, sir, uh, I know were injured. It just. I, mean, I want you to tell that story as well. Sure. Um, because if it's, anyone knows, it would be you, and, and I want you to describe because you have gone through hell. Yeah, well, I just had a bad day at work in 2004. Bad day at work. And I, I mean, that's what it was. It was a rough day at the office. I mean, it was could have happened to anybody. And you had a premonition. Yeah, no, I knew it was going to happen. Um, I'm a third generation combat marine. You know, I come, I came by that life pretty honestly. And after my grandfather fought in Ujima in World War II in Korea, my uncle in Vietnam, and I knew what I was going to do when I was eight. Yeah. You know, most people don't have that conviction. And I was very, very blessed to have that at a very young age because I was very close to my grandmother growing up. I never met my grandfather. He died two years before I was born. But my grandfather <clears throat> was a Marine's Marine, you know, and he was um, I remember reading a, a letter that he had written my grandmother. And he said, you know, when we when we hit the beach, I don't think that my boots ever hit, hit sand. I think I was just running on my dead brother's. And that's why guys from our era, they're like, oh, you know, we got it so bad in Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm like, shut up. No, we, no, we didn't. Like, you're, no, we didn't. We just didn't. And uh, that's the truth of the matter, you know. And, and my grandmother. It's interesting for you to say that, considering um, what you personally went through. Yeah, I mean, but here's the deal, man. When I signed the dotted line, you know, that was unconditional. And uh, luckily, I was, uh, my grand, my grandmother was very honest with me about the way the world works and about society and you know we try and pass that on to our boys and let them know you know, just so you know the world doesn't give a damn about your feelings you gotta be convicted in who you are and you gotta be in love with that person staring back at you in the mirror because everything in your life will be dictated off that emotion and you live with conviction because this you get one shot this is an address rehearsal and you know when i joined the marines it was the beginning of my senior year and and uh, I didn't tell anybody because I thought that was a good idea. And it turns out I probably should have run it by a couple people. But I didn't. Oh, <laughs> bro. <laughs> my, my father found out at my high school graduation when he met my recruiter in his dress blues. And uh, he was pissed. Wow. He was not happy about it. And I didn't understand that. You know, as a teenager, I was like, I thought you'd be proud. I mean, you're a banker. You know, like, what are you upset about? But he had seen the after effects with his father and his older brother. And he was just worried about his kid. That's all that was. And that didn't dawn on me until much later. Yeah. But, um, you know, I went to boot camp and in, in, uh, it was around September, late September, early October, 2001. And because I wasn't supposed to go till December, but then 9-11 happened. And being a combat billet, you know, if you were a combat billet, you were going. And as if Marine Corps drill instructors needed any more motivation to be Marine Corps drill instructors, <laughs> they definitely had it at that time. And with the last name like Schick and uh, being a first squad squad leader, and then my guide's last name is Schmitter. So you can guess what we had to answer to for three months. But um, I never questioned throughout my training in boot camp or school of infantry or once I connected with my unit, I never questioned you know, what did I do, you know, my, where I'm supposed to be ever. I knew I was right where I was supposed to be, you know, even that day in Iraq in September 2004. And uh, hit an IED. Yeah, it was a triple sack tank mine. It was. Uh, you were from 30 feet in the air and never lost consciousness. 
No, but in my gunny will tell you it's because I landed on my head. He, he always says if I'd have landed in any other part of my body, I'd have died immediately. And, um, it, you know, I, I had this when I when they called the react, I just had this bad feeling in my gut when we got out to do because our primary area of operation was SUNY Triangle. And then in the summer of 2004, we were, I mean, we were busy, whether you wanted to be or not you're going to be busy at that time in the triangle of death because the unicorn triangle is already taken. So they called it the triangle of death. And, uh, and that react got called and I walked out of the tent and just a bad feeling in my gut went in my throat and I knew we were going to get hit. I didn't know about what or how bad it was going to be, but I, you know, I believe it was crossed between God and my grandfather from beyond the grave. Let me know that hey, your day's about to suck. And uh, so strap in. And uh, took the bomb link out of my CEO's Humvee and went to the lead vehicle because we operated in two two door soft top Humvees for the React teams. What we had, and back here at that time, you know, everybody was saying they need more armor. They don't have enough armor, and we were like, "How many times have you been shot at driving? Like, we need our vehicles to be fast as possible." And they're trust me, I'd say the Humvees aren't ready, aren't built for speed. <laughs> and um, you know, so I went to the lead vehicle, kicked the driver out of the driver's seat, and. Took the radio from Radio Man and uh, told all the guys to button up. You know, if they gave it to you for protection, put it on right now. And by the time I got in the seat and got ready to go, they all knew that I knew something was up. And uh, I punched it. And three minutes later, we hit that triple stack and uh, pressure plate ignited. Front left tire hit it, blew up everything beneath me, blew me 30 feet to the top of the Humvee and stuck the landing with my head. You're injured, man. Yeah, when I when I hit the deck, uh, I mean, I knew in the air it was going to be bad, and uh, I knew it was bad. And when I hit the deck, you know, I, it took a minute for me to even get my bearings. And um, I was looking for my rifle because you know, first thing is you got to have a way to fight. And um, I was able to figure out, had an idea where I was because I could hear the guy that I kicked out of the driver's, driver's seat yelling my name. He was yelling chick and uh because he looked over and there was no me and when we hit the the bomb the the dashboard disengaged the steer wheel hit me in my chest and it made all my mags explode because we wear them on the front of our flak jacket so all the springs went and there's rounds everywhere in my blood but no me so he thought i was what we referred to as red misted in the wind and uh but i couldn't breathe because the my lungs were collapsed, all my ribs were broken, and I was trying to I wanted to tell him like, hey, two things. I need you to stop yelling because you're making us a bigger target and I'm okay ish. And I started my self-assessment and uh, I could only see out of my left eye because my shatterproof lens is shattered. <laughs> may or may not be false advertising. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> And uh, didn't see out of my right eye for about <clears throat> three months. On my left eye, I started my self-assessment, and my left leg was wrapped around itself, and my tibia and my fibula were exposed. My combat boot was blown off. And I thought two things when I first saw that. One, that's not supposed to be like that. And two, I knew it was a significant bomb because to blow my combat boot off and not take my foot with it, that takes a lot of force. And then um, – Saw daylight through my left arm and part of my left hand was hanging down my by my left elbow. Uh, <clears throat> again, all my ribs were broken. I had burns throughout my body and then that shrapnel in my face and my chin and my neck. And uh, 
you know, I just made a deal with God right there. I just said, hey, big man, just all I ask is because I knew I was dying. And I just said, don't take me in front of my family. That's all I ask. As soon as the skids leave the deck, I'm all yours. But just please don't allow my brothers to watch me die. And that was the deal that I made. And then shortly thereafter, the guys got up to me and, you know, we got you, Shay. We got you, brother. And uh, a few of them, first thing I said when I was able to get a breath is I said, develop 360. You know, set up a security cordon, and they were like, "Oh yeah." I'm like, "Yeah, we're still at war." So let's do, let's do war. Isn't that something? You had the ability to still. I mean, you're still thinking strategy, and like, I mean, with all that going on, that is incredible. I mean, I would like to think it was that, but I really just didn't feel like getting shot at that moment. And I was like, "The security cordon would be great. Just give <laughs> give me a chance." Like, I don't. Right. I don't know what it's like to get shot by a 7.16 millimeter, and I'm I'm not don't want to find out. Not yeah. not curious to know. I mean, I know what they do, <laughs> but I don't know how they feel, and uh, I'd like to keep it that way. <laughs> That's probably why I said it. But I mean, we do the same thing a thousand times every day because you know we got a you know muscle memory. It's yeah. better to be able to react without thought. Mm-hmm. You're more effective. Tell us about. And by the way. Um, uh, just another opportunity here to mention the website, uh, givesentgo.com slash veterans in need. Going to take every cent that is raised between now and noon Eastern on Wednesday. And then we're going to send half of it to you and half of it to you and know that you will go and do the Lord's work with it. Um, tell us about onetribefoundation.org and what you guys do for veterans in need. Yeah, sure. So, um, the good thing is, is I'm honored to be here too with Mighty Oaks. Is I mean, very familiar with what they do, and it it takes all of us. Absolutely, right? yeah, we're all one team. Yeah, we're yeah. all all one tribe, right? Yeah. We all, and I yeah. tell people around the world, if I take my knife out and I stick you with it, <clears throat> you're gonna leak red. We're connected by default. That's not a coincidence, and. Um, we're very convicted in what we do because of the demons that we fought and myself too. I mean, it's been, there's a reason that next week I've been five years clean and sober. Mm. I mean, there's a reason for that. You know, I, I suck at all things in moderation, good, bad, or indifferent. It'll be a hell of a show. Like it's just the way it is with my family and my DNA. And um, you know, that's, that's why the work we do is in the middle and emotional wellness arena is so vital is because it's based on a very real foundation and you know these are um, majority of these people are warriors are directly connected to warriors who've been affected by the wake that we leave in our path when we come home or get out of the military which we know you know it's not it it's i i tell everybody i was never a good patient and uh, that didn't stop for a long time and so we we want to give these men and women a safe place to come and drop the bravado and, and be human because we forget that regardless of our title, whether it's, you know, soldier, sailor, airman, coasty, Marine, mm-hmm. um, space force. Space force. Yeah. Oh, like yeah, I like that a lot. I don't know if that's even oh, we're correct. Making it a thing. Yeah. I like it, yeah. It's a thing now. Um, <laughs> you know, regardless of what our title is, we're human first. You know, and you can't, no matter the training you do, no matter how in, how intense or what you go through or do or see, you're human first. We still have the same emotions 
and feelings as everybody else. And you can only compartmentalize so much. You know, it's a pressure cooker, but everybody knows that from unaddressed childhood trauma. And you, no one can tell me that they haven't they haven't faced it. I mean, I've read every study in white paper there is on the topic, you know, and uh, and so we, we're able to bring in these men and women and their families because you got to treat the family unit. You have to. You can't just treat the individual. And we let them know that you're worthy of living well. That's the only way we're going to honor our brothers and sisters who came before us. And those are going to come after us is by living well. There's no other way. There's no award. There's no medal. There's no plaque or ribbon or piece of paper that's going to justify you living an unproductive life. Mm -hmm. You want to honor them and set the bar, live well, day in and day out. And the only way you can do that is lean in and love hard. I love that. I, I would love to know from the two of you, for those of us that know people who are maybe transitioning out of the military and they're going to be starting civilian life again, what advice would you give? What is the best way to support them? Because I know, I mean, I had a friend that was in the army. He did, uh, I think, eight years in the army. And when he got out, he said, I didn't realize how hard civilian life is going to be because he's like, there's no, I'm used to so much structure and I'm used mm. to, and it was little things, but it was making him incredibly depressed wow. because he was like, I don't feel like I fit anywhere anymore. I can't function the way I used mm -hmm. to. And of course I was so young, I didn't know how to support him. I didn't know what he'd been through or, or what his daily life was like when he was in the military. So for those of us that know someone who's making that transition, what advice would you give? How can we support them the best possible way? I think the, the best way is to come around that, that individual that's getting out of the military and let them know that you're there for them and they're not alone because they're making a drastic change from coming out of a, a work environment where you wake up at a certain time, you eat at a certain time, you work out at a certain time, you go to the field, you're with your buddies all the time, and then you end up at home in the civilian life and you don't have that structure and you don't have that routine and you feel like your purpose and your mission is gone, like I was talking about earlier. I think the best way to, to get around that, combat that, is getting yourself connected. Don't become yeah. someone that's going to be become alone. And don't be an island. Don't be an island. Yeah. You need to you need to stay connected. And you don't necessarily have to be connected to to veterans and military guys only. There's a lot of great people out there that were not in the military. And yeah, they might not understand the certain things that you went through in the military, but those people might be able to give you some really sound and good advice on how to get through life. Like when my dad came back, he had a pastor that was walking along, alongside him. When I came back, I had a pastor and a few buddies that were civilians walking alongside of me, leading me to where I needed to get because I was in that exact same spot. Of what the heck is going on? This world that I'm coming back to is completely different. Yeah, it's it's uh, look, the truth of the matter is, and, you know, we're so spoiled in this country. I mean, literally have anything we want at our fingertips. I mean, I just left the a deal at the college, I mean, say the college, <laughs> where they had they had robots <clears throat> delivering food in a heated little robot unit. I'm not kidding. <laughs> directly to the directly to wherever the phone was located. And I was just thinking, <laughs> I was just thinking, like, man, this is this is hard knock, hard knock life, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> and it's like you, I, I. I feel like it 
and I say this with 100% empathy and sympathy for the people that are about to transition or transitioning, but toughen up, nobody owes you anything. You volunteered, right? And, and if you think you're going to be able to do it alone, you're not that tough. Be smart at the same time. It's supposed to be hard because it's worth doing. And so for me, it's like you try and do it alone. That's fine. But just like during the global pandemic, majority of the world learned there's a drastic difference between being lonely and alone. Yeah. Those are two very different things. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself because we're not equipped as human beings to do this life thing on our own. And the truth of it is being a warrior is a hundred times easier than being a civilian. It's inherently more dangerous, but a hundred times easier. Mm. That's just the truth. There's not a day that goes by. I don't look at my wife or my kids and go, man, I just wish I was in the middle of nowhere hunting somebody who's hunting me because it's easier. You know, when's the last time you had your family and friends together all in one group and you asked where you want to go out to eat? Because it's like you just asked everybody, all right, let's get together and resolve the theory of relativity. <laughs> so <Yeah>. Right? <laughs> so my thing, you know, let's adhere. Now close the home, <laughs> you know, let's let's adhere to the kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. Yeah. You know, what I mean, and that's the thing. When you get out and you're transitioning, you don't have to figure it out right away. That's not the point. How many people do you know that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s? They're like, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Mm -hmm. That's okay. That's okay. But lean in and love hard while you're doing it. You know, find victory in your vulnerability and refuse to be a hostage to your pride because you're going to grow. You're not supposed to be comfortable. You never grow in your comfort zone. None of us grew in the military in our comfort zone. Yeah. You know, you were thrown together with a bunch of people you didn't know and were told by someone who was more important than you. You're, this is your new family. Figure it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, and if you figure it out well, you know, you'll you'll com continue to be undefeated. Yeah. And, and that's the thing. The transition is not easy. Find an organization, whether it's Mighty Oaks or One Tribe. I don't care. Find something yeah. that speaks to your soul and that feeds your soul and do a little bit of that often. I know with today being Veterans Day, um, you've got a lot of commitments, and I appreciate you coming up here. Um, before you head to your next stop, could you kind of tell us, and I'm going to want the same thing from you, um, what is the biggest need for your organizations? What if, if, you, if someone said, what's the, one, what's the most important thing you need right now, um, other than the obvious thing, prayer? And money. Yeah. Um, it, what What is it uh, that you guys um, need the most, would you say? So I, I answer this question the same way, regardless of where I am. And it's because everybody's got it. And it's either everybody has three things of value. And it's not equal, but everybody has three things of value, time, talent, or treasure. And if you want to help, because a lot of people are like, I want to help, and I don't know how. And it's like, yeah, but are you choosing ignorance or you know, what's happening there? Because Google knows everything. Yeah. And, and so, <laughs> you know, my, my thing is, if you're not willing to sacrifice some of one of those three things of value, right. you're a talker. And we have plenty of those. Right. That's the only way you can help. Sacrifice and service are synonymous. You cannot do one without the other. And if you're not willing to sacrifice some of either your time, talent, or treasure, you're not ready to help. Understood. You need yeah. doers. That's it. I mean, we we have plenty of talkers. I mean, y'all see the same 
TV channels I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you say that's uh Yeah, absolutely. Everybody is always like, oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. And where's the action behind that? Mm-hmm. Like, that's like my challenge to everybody listening to this. Like, if you can give, give. If you can do something with your talents, do something with your talents. If you know somebody that is in a bad spot right now and served in the military, show them this, what, what's, what's going on right now. Show them us, our organizations. We want to help. We want you to spread the word that there is organizations out there that is willing to put our hand out and save you from the sea that's drowning you. We, we want you guys to make sure that you spread this word so much that we take that 22 a day and drop it to zero. Yeah. I hope to God I see that number drop to zero in my lifetime. Yeah, Likewise. Yeah. Look, I, the one thing as human beings that we can all agree on, you know, this is regardless whether you don the cloth of the nation or not, the one thing that puts us in the same arena on level playing ground is trauma and tragedy. It's the one thing we can all agree on. That's regardless of race, color, creed, religion, socioeconomic status, you know, political ideation, political affiliation. You will get hit in the mouth by pain, by pain and suffering and trauma and tragedy. And it can't can't be measured, right? It, and there's a reason for that. You know, like when someone tells me, like, oh, Jake, I can't imagine what you've gone through with you know, having a prosthetic and over 50 operations, over 20 blood transfusions. I've only ever had surgery on my shoulder. And I'm like, well, how do you know that your surgery on your shoulder isn't as bad as what I went through? They're like, well, look at you. I'm like, that's, that's fair. <laughs> but quantifiably on a piece of paper, show me how what I went through is worse than what you went through. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I can't. Like, do you think there's a reason for that? Mm-hmm. It's all relative, and it's the one thing that puts us in the same arena. Yeah. You know, we got to put the stuff we hear from the talking heads aside and and lean in and love hard on the humanality. Yeah, you know, everybody I think experiences trauma in some way, yeah. whether that's in combat or you can be driving, like a soccer mom, Sally, can be driving down the road and an 18-wheeler drives in front of her and takes out the car in front of her, kills everybody in the car. She's probably traumatized because she's never been in an, an environment where everybody in front of her might die. Mm-hmm. Everybody experiences some sort of trauma. You yeah. don't have to be in the military to experience trauma. Right. We're all human beings. Yeah. On Veterans Day, what is the what's the best thing that you can receive on Veterans Day from the people in your life? A phone call, just a thank you for your service. Like, what can we be doing today to let the people who serve know that that means the world to us? You want to take that one first? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm blessed enough to work for an organization where I, I get thank you for your service a lot. And um, like, I truly appreciate when someone tells me thank you for my service, but no one ever made me do it. No one ever said, no one put me, put my hand on the paper and made me sign my name with the pen. Like I, I chose to because I, I felt like I needed to serve my country because my country's given me so much. Mm-hmm. Um and when you say thank you for your service to someone, I, I would I would challenge someone to to go more in depth, talk to them, ask them what their name is, what branch they served with. Don't don't ask combat questions like did you kill anybody or did did you see anything crazy. Don't ask that type of stuff. But try to get to know that person. Sure. Like where do you guys live? What do you do now? What's your life been like outside of the military? Do you need anything? Does your family need anything? Get genuine and on their level That's instead good. of trying to be a spectator, trying to hear a cool story. Understood. That's great. Would you have a similar answer to that, Jacob? Yeah, I would second that. 
And but I would also challenge I would challenge both the person saying it and the veteran. Yeah. Um first the person saying it, are you saying it for you or them? Mm. First and foremost. Mm-hmm. Uh <clears throat> and secondly, for the veteran, regardless of how it makes you feel, you know, because when people tell me thank you for your service, I always just say you're worth it. And it usually just stops it right there. There's no follow-up with anything mm-hmm. because I'm just by my response, you know, making them go introspective. Like, oh, damn, am I worth it? <laughs> you know? I like and, it? And so for me, it's like a win-win for everybody. But I would challenge the vet to think about that. You know, why why did you join? Mm-hmm. You know, whether you are from generations of warriors or you're the first generation, why did you join? And what does it mean to you? Mm-hmm. And what example do you want to leave that person of being one of the less than one half percent of society, yeah. you know, and, and that's the thing, man. Again, it's the only way we're going to honor them. The, the ones that we've buried and the ones that are going to come after us is by living well. I would just challenge everybody listening, you know, wake up and live well, knowing that you're going to have hard days. They're guaranteed, but that's why you find your tribe and you love them hard. Ranger up had this shirt. Um, really good friends with Dick. Uh, that runs uh, Ranger up, but it said, "Live your life, live your life worthy of their sacrifice." Mm. If it's a challenge to all live by, yeah. Well, shout out to your families too, because no you're like third generation. So Seriously. I mean, you're the example that you guys got. Obviously, was serving and living well, and motivated you to also want to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah look, that's awesome. I don't know if I can speak for anyone else, but I'll tell you this: I'll never be able to repay this country for what it's given me. But I promise you, I'll die trying. I mean, that's that's just the fact. I mean, it's what it's given me and my family. And regardless of all her faults, they're the best country in the world. Yeah. Well said. yeah all yeah. politics aside, America still remains the like the heart of this world. Understood. That's right. Yeah. Try protesting in Syria. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, don't forget the website. If you would like to donate to these two great and deserving organizations, it's givesendgo.com slash veterans in need gentlemen thank you so much i'm gonna i'm gonna show these guys oh. out i'm gonna have ian Jordan. come in here yes, thank, thank you. you ian's gonna take my spot good meeting, and man. i think i saw Too frank yeah. Demma out thank you so much right. yeah thank you for guys for having me yeah. all right uh you mind if i uh switch out yes, here absolutely. okay cool all right i'd like to hear about hillary's military experience <laughs> oh would you oh okay all right well we got plenty of time here so all right ian have a seat sir all right and Frank, right? Hey, nice to meet you. Have a seat here. Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. I'll let you guys take this. Thank you. Hi, there. Go ahead. I'm Hillary. Hi, Hillary. How are you? I'm doing great. Good. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Frank, you have a very interesting story. First of all, I hear you're a killer hockey player. I don't know about a killer hockey player, but I'm a hockey player. I'm a, ho- I'm a hockey player nonetheless. Well, I, I was reading about you. I hear that you're amazing. Um, I would love just to kind of share with everybody your backstory. How did you How did you decide to be in the military? How did you end up there? Oh, that is a story. I was old, 33, when I went in the army. I was much. Really? Yeah, I was much older. I um I wanted to be a cop, and so I was a cop, and I wanted to. Um, work some narcotic stuff, do which I did. And then I wanted to be more, I really wanted to be more on the, I don't know what would be a good word for it, maybe more of the 
secret ops, right? I wanted to be that guy. I wanted to be that James Bond kind of guy. And so I, I tested with a couple of very, very nice three-letter agencies who said, hey, you did really, really good, but this isn't how we hire people. We we really, they got to have some experience. So um, fortunately enough, they said, hey, the Army has this great program as a 35 Lima, which is a counterintelligence special agent. I'm like, oh, 33 years old. I, I'm a police officer. I have a career. My wife worked for American Airlines. Um, yeah, it's not really what I want to do. They went home and talked to her, and she's like, I mean, if you have a dream and that's what you want to do, if it's going to be open a segue and allow you the opportunity to do this, why would you not try it? So I did. Went into basic training at 33. Um, it was very interesting because everybody was 17 and 18 years old. Um, you know, I was old as a lot of their dads and their moms were. And and so it but it was but I was I was very glad that I did it because as I did it older, it was a whole lot smarter. Right. So so I, I figured out very quickly, especially doing the job that I did before, I figured out very quickly that this is just more of a mind game, right? It's mind over matter. I could get through anything. And it was it was really much easier than I thought it would be. Spent um, spent two years enlisted, um, deployed to Afghanistan. I came in in May of 2000. No, 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 December of 2000. And um, when September 11th kicked off, um, we were in country. Uh, I was with the Special Forces Unit. We were in country on the 4th of October. So maybe there was 35 or 40 Americans in country. Had a blast. I mean, little pun intended, right? Um, but But literally, it was unbelievable. I'd never been in, I mean, I was a cop in Fort Worth, so I had a little bit of a, a little bit of a war zone sometimes, right. but nothing like this. I mean, the bombs were, were just beginning to drop it right after we got there. So, I mean, there was, there was still smoke and fire when we got in there. I was hooked. But then I knew that, that I was a little too, you know, most Army senior leaders, especially on the non-commissioned officer side, they, they have strong opinions. And I also had strong opinions and I knew I was probably going to be in trouble. So I made a quick transition to be a, a warrant officer. So a warrant officer on the technical side as a counterintelligence person, um, stayed in the army for 22 years and I just retired May of 2001. Now, 22 years, let, let's talk the military side. <clears throat> That's a fast clip to make CW5. I mean, CW5 is already unicorn status in the in the branches, but 20 years to hit CW5 and be that accomplished. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. So that's, a, that's, a, that's a big deal. So interesting problem to have, right? Um, see, I'll, I'll tell you the problem that I had when I get there. But so at about the two-year mark, um, I, I just talked to a, a CW5 that I knew that was in my unit, and I was like, what have I got to do to put in a packet? He's like, listen, if I were you with all of your civilian experience, just put in the packet now. Most people make the transition between the 10 and 12 year mark in the army because they you're a W1 for two years and then you're a W2 for four years and then you're a W3 for five years. But it takes them to 20 as a W3, which is a nice retirement. So at the two year mark, I make the switch. So at the two year mark, I'm a W1. At the four year mark, I'm a W2. So I pin four at 13 which meant I got my first look at five at 16 years time in service. So I get picked up for W5. Now I have a problem. So my problem is this. If you look at the Army pay chart, W5 doesn't start until 20 years time in service. So I say, oh, no, am I going to have to get paid? Even though I am a W5, am I only going to get paid for this until I hit 20? Right. Which 
look, good problem to have, right? And so the Army said, no, we say that the minimum dollar amount you could make as a W-5 is this amount. So at 16, or instead of getting paid as a W-4 with 16, I was actually making a W-5 at 20. She said, the bad part is, is you're going to have to stay like that until you hit 20. And I'm like, what a terrible problem to have. <laughs> so it was good. It, it was really good. And, you know, ironically enough, my son um, went in the military after college because he didn't want to pay for law school. And so he just finished warrant officer school. He's at the five-year mark of his career. He's a 35 golf. So he's a geospatial four-language kid. And so he's out there now. And he called me the other day and he said, hey, pretty impressive, right? Warrant officer at five years ago. That's very impressive. Three years later than I did it, but... It's still impressive. You're, you're moving right along, kid. But yeah, it was fun. I mean, it He's was. Got a lot to live up to. He does. He does. So, so it's a little bit of name recognition right. for him. Yeah, he he's run into a couple people out there already. He's like, and he sends me these rolling eye emojis. He's like, Dad, there's more people out here because he's at Fort Huachuca, which is the home of the of the Army Intel Center. So I spent a big chunk of my my career as far as schooling goes out there. Um, so he's like, everybody I run into is like, Hey, that name. That's a really familiar name. And he's like, Yes. Yes, that's my dad. dad. Yes, he is. <laughs> no, I'm not him. And they're like, oh, well, he goes, but there are a lot of benefits that come with it as well. And I said, use your power wisely. Right, exactly. Use it wisely. You, you know, Frank, you and I haven't known each other long. I did say a little over a year. Um, I've got to know you pretty well. Obviously, you've been in the real fight. Now you're fighting a different battle with a pretty uh, rare, I would say. I've not heard of it often, cancer. Yeah. Tell, tell us a little bit about what you go through on a on a basis with that, because I think that kind of ties into your strength and the military and kind of your drive. I, I found it interesting when you told me uh, the story a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So there I was, Afghanistan, maybe my fifth or sixth time in 2012. Um, I just was sick. I just... I just could feel that. I mean, I was always a pneumonia kind of person after the first deployment, burn pits, whatever caused it. I have no idea. But I was a get pneumonia in the hospital uh, once a year or twice a year, every year, every year from 2002. The doctors couldn't really figure it out. So fast forward 2012. Uh, I'm actually in Herat um, at a house, uh, a civilian house of a source I'm about to do a recruitment. And I have this constant cough, constant cough. And I just have this pain. Like, I just feel like somebody's stabbing me. Um, and so uh, the guy that I was talking to, the Afghan, he's like, don't worry about this. My brother's a doctor. I'm going to call him right up. I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm not sure I'm that sick. But I just couldn't. Uh, I just couldn't do it. I, I was just I was just really, really sick. So um, I went back to Herat. Uh, Spanish hospital was set up there. The Italians had a big base there. Um, and so I walked in there and, uh, the, you know, the very first thing, when, when we deploy, we deploy in all just native, just however the natives are, that's who you are. Mm -hmm. And so as I walk in here, the very first thing this nurse says to me is, uh, hey, do you speak English? And I'm like, yeah, I sure do. And she's like, wow, you do it with no accent. That's really good. Where did you learn it so well? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know, probably the same public school system in the United States that you did. And she's like, really? That's amazing. Um, so the doctor comes in, does a bunch of x-rays, a lot of blood coming up in the coughing. Um, he's standing probably across the room in the corner from me, picks up the phone, calls the surgeon and says, uh, 
hey, I need you to come over here right away. And he must have asked him why. And he said, uh, if I've ever seen lung cancer before, I see it right now. So I'm like, that was the first, he didn't say nothing to me before he said that. And so he's literally right there. So he walked back over and I said, sir, you know, you know, I'm sitting right here, right? And he's like, well, well, yeah. And I go, you probably could have told me that before you told somebody else that. And he said to me, um, hey, listen, you got to toughen up a little bit. This is war. And I said, when did you get here? He had only been there for about a month. Never left the fob. Never been outside of the wire. Was only there for 60 days from Bethesda. Nonetheless, I had to go home. Um, and so I was, I was mad. I was 43, 33, 43. I was 44 years old. So I was mad, very mad. Um, <clears throat> go home, go to launch, still go through a bunch of treatment. I met Walter Reed for about eight months. Um, luckily, my wife worked there as well at the time. So it worked out well. I got to see her every day. Uh, everything worked out. Went into remission. Everything was fine. 2012, 2015. Let's do it again. Um, same lung, same side, same everything. Uh, everything was good. 2019, let's try it one more time. Another lobe. Um, so beat that. Moved to Texas, retire. Um, right before I came to Texas, uh, 2020, diagnosed with multiple myeloma, which is cancer of the blood. Um, probably, probably the tougher one than lung cancer because it just... You, it can really never get fixed. And so we do the treatments. We do everything now. We do a combination of uh, IVIG, which is intravenous immunoglobin, because my immune system is just completely shot. So um, luckily, it must be working because my wife got COVID about a month ago, and we were in the same house, and I didn't get sick at all. So yeah, something great. must be working well. When You change the dosages a lot, um, which is the hardest part for me. And so uh, we go on a – we do th every three weeks for – for three cycles and then we go to every two weeks and so yesterday was my day um so usually the day of it's it's really kind of a hard day and so my wife's only rule about playing hockey um which i try to do five times a week is you can't play on uh maybe six times a week you just can't play on you can't play on the day you have treatment um i've done it it's it's not it's, rough, it's, right? it's yeah it's not a pretty sight and so the problem is um we had some pulmonary embolisms a while back um that we didn't really realize so now blood thinners so every time every time you get hit with a hockey puck oh, yeah. it looks like it looks like had a fight and you know but it is hard and and so success right now is that uh that it doesn't get into the bones and turn into leukemia so mm -hmm. we have a bone marrow biopsy about once a quarter cross our fingers so far so far the blood's good so i guess that the transfusions and the treatment and everything that we're doing and if i have to do that every three weeks so that i can live mostly a normal life and still play hockey. And how are you feeling? Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it has its days, but like anybody will tell you, I'm probably the most positive person that you'll ever run into. I could, I you could, can feel it, right? Like yeah, you can just nonstop. feel it coming straight from you, Frank. You I mean, so I, I mean, I could, I can have treatment on Thursday and play. Actually, we did play in a tournament where I played two games, Friday, two Saturday, two Sunday, but you would never know it. Sometimes I feel it. And I know that, Luckily for me, I have a pretty good wife. Um, how she's managed our medical schedule and everything through all of this, I have no idea. Um, but she absolutely is amazing. And so there'll be times where she'll be like, okay, now you got to go home. Now you got to sleep now. But I'm just a, I don't know if you've ever heard the commercial about a body in motion stays in motion. But my biggest fear, and one of the things that my oncologist has said to me was, I don't know how you're still going. I don't know how you're not at home on oxygen. I don't know how you keep doing this, but whatever you're doing. And so, and then to top it all off, you know, 
I can't do cardio the same way normal people can, right? I can't go out there and run. I can't, I can't go to the gym like you and pick up, you know, lift pickup trucks and things like that. Um, but I ride, I got into cycling, um, and, and I really, really like it. And so I try to ride between, between 60 and 80 miles a week. And my goal two years ago, when I first started was to ride a century ride, I wanted to ride a hundred miles. And so I worked up to it, worked up to it, worked up to it. And last December, I finally rode in a century ride and I rode a hundred miles. And when I finished, I said, why would anybody that can drive ride their bike a hundred miles? <laughs> it's insanely, it's insanely so, too far. So, yeah. yeah. That's incredible. Though. So it was good. That is amazing. Well, you're such a testament to never give up that, you know, this too shall pass. Like, you know, so many things in life are, are momentary yeah. and, and I love your, your positive attitude. Um, what's something that you remember about when you came home from your last deployment? What were you kind of thinking and feeling then? Well, oh, so mad, like angry mad. I was sick. Um, I wasn't feeling well, um, but I think I was more, I was super angry. I remember calling my wife um, and, and so I didn't tell anybody till I got home. So I called my wife from Afghanistan and said, I had, because I actually had two hernias and I had, uh, I had to have my gallbladder removed for some big gallstones that were there, but they couldn't do the surgery till I got back home. So I'm like, Hey, listen, I've got to come home. They're going to do surgery on a gallbladder. She's like, Hmm, why aren't they just bringing you to launch tool having the surgery and then sending you back to Afghanistan? They do that with a lot of people. And I'm like, you're not smarter than me. Don't worry about it. I don't know why they're not doing it. They're just not doing it. I mean, maybe it's time for me to, you know, because usually we did four to four to five month rotations anyway. Um, so um, mad, very, very mad. And so when I got home, I was like, how, uh, how am I supposed to tell anybody? How am I supposed to? So the kids were, I think uh, our son was a senior. Our daughter was a sophomore. Um, so went out to dinner at a public restaurant. Um, and I just said, hey, look. This is what's going to happen. This is where we're going. This is what's going on. And there was dead silence. And my daughter, who was a freshman, I guess, maybe a sophomore at the time, she said, Dad, does the cancer hurt? And everybody kind of cracked up laughing. So our family has always been deal with funny, deal with laughter. If you can't laugh about it, then it's probably not worth it. So after that, we just kind of made a plan and stuck to the plan. And then we slowly worked through it. But that that original one. When I first came home, yeah, just just downright mad. Because you're not supposed to have lung cancer at 45 years old. Right. You're supposed to talk to your 45-year-old friends about their dad and their grandpas that have lung cancer and say, well, oh, I'm really sorry, but they're in their 90s, so it's been a really good run. Right. Not, you're 45, how are you going to deal with this? And then, oh, by the way, now that everybody has Google and smartphones and all that, just go ahead and Google to see what life expectancy is and what the success rate is. Mm -hmm. It's not very good. It's one of the worst. So all of that, and then I'm just like, I still had a lot of things that I wanted to do, right? Right. It's pretty incredible, though, what you've done, what you accomplished in such a <clears throat> short period of time, and the positivity. I, I can only imagine, I'm sure there are other veterans who love spending time with you and being around you because you have such a cheerful, happy perspective and personality. And by the way, I haven't said this in a little bit. Um, if you want to donate to help our veterans today, we would greatly appreciate it. You can go to givesendgo.com slash veterans in need. So givesendgo.com slash veterans in need. Um, and we're so grateful that you're here sharing your story today. 
what advice, and I, I asked this in the last hour, what advice would you give to those of us who might know, and I would love to know this from both of you actually, what advice would you give to those of us who know someone who might be transitioning out of the military and into civilian life? Because I know that's not an easy transition for most people when you go from a very structured lifestyle to all of a sudden going back to something that you haven't experienced in a while, especially if you've been in for 22 years or whatever yeah. it is. So what advice would you give us to kind of help people who are making that transition? I literally just made a transition. Uh, I retired from the army in May 1st of 2021. And then uh, I transitioned to being a senior consultant with Deloitte um, three days later. I'd already had the job set up and everything like that. For me, it's, it's a whole different story because my job in the military was very much civilian-like, right? So, so I had a boss kind of sort of, but we were always in civilian clothes. We always had a beard. When we, we always had rental cars. We always stayed in hotels. We stayed in houses. So for me coming into the military later in life, mm -hmm. I'm going to use the expression, I didn't so much drink all the Kool-Aid because for me, it was more of a career and a stepping stone. And this is really what I wanted to do. And I always said I would stay as long as till it wasn't fun anymore. When I couldn't get up every day and go to work and laugh, then I wouldn't go to work anymore. But I work with a lot of now. So I have a lot of people that, that are transitioning, that are coming to Deloitte. Mm -hmm. And Deloitte seems to shift them all over to me. And so as I talk to these guys, I'm like, okay, how are you preparing for this? So, so for some reason in the army, everything is super structured. They tell you when to get up. They tell you when to when to go to bed. They tell you when to eat. They tell you when to be. They have three formations a day. They tell you accountability. It's pretty structured. No matter what your job is, some a little bit less, some a little bit more. So I know a bunch of colonels that have come to work after retirement that were very structured that don't make it in Deloitte. Because especially in the consulting world, it's you go out and you find some jobs and you do your job and you don't really have a schedule and you don't really have a boss and you just try to make some money and and that's how it works but people that need structure you you have to really have a plan and and so the transition plan what the army does right now the army's transition program didn't exist when i got out and it, being in the type of unit that i was in my whole career i literally when i retired i shook my boss's hand i got on into my vehicle and i drove to texas no ceremony, no award, no nothing like that. It, I had a Legion of Merit that was sent to me in the mail a couple months later, but I knew what I was getting into. But some of these kids that are transitioning, even at the four, six, eight, ten-year mark that have had that, they have to understand that they should take that experience that they had and build on it because it's a great building block. There's a reason people want to hire them because they're structured, because they know that they've successfully completed something, they've started and completed something, and they've been very successful. And they have an honorable discharge and they did what five percent of americans do and they volunteered and raised their hand and said hey i want to defend this country good times are bad i think it's like five percent is the number so automatically it puts them in a different group of people that get looked at differently mm -hmm. the other thing i would say is take advantage of these programs that are out there for transitioning soldiers i happened to hear about one tonight that i saw on facebook um that the stars are having one hour before the game tonight they're having a whole job satisfaction job type of thing um for them to be able to to go and kind of look at some different job fairs so look at some of those look at them opportunities i think that's what they need to do and what about you do you have some advice you could give to, to those of us who i know someone who's making that transition you know i like uh frank was a little bit older when i came in i was 25 uh not 33 but 25 and i had graduated Went to school overseas, so that's a little bit different as well. Um, 
you know, build off of one, have, have a plan. Mm -hmm. uh, you can't get out and not have a plan because unfortunately the systems still aren't in place to help individuals um, uh, transition out. I mean, I, I do some consulting a little bit on the side as a businessman with people who are generals and colonels that they're scared to death, they're fighter pilots, yet they're scared to death of what happens next because they were academy uh, graduates, they mm -hmm. straight in. I mean, they're equally like the eight, the kid who went in at 17 and 18 and they, their only life experience is the military. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the, the way I lay it out to them and it's kind of blunt and it's a little bit abrasive, but you have to take the experience that you gained and the wisdom that you learned, but you have to check your ego at the door and understand that people appreciate what you did. Um, but you also have to kind of grunt softly and carry a big stick. It's it's what you show them on the civilian side that you can do, not what you did when you were in. And and I, I have I, and I've hired people who have really struggled with it so much. So I, I hate to say this, that I hadn't I had an individual employee once that I had to counsel, and then when I got to the bottom of it, he couldn't figure out whether to wear khaki pants or blue pants because he had been told every day of his life what he was That's to wear. Wow. And, you know, on, on the outside, for people who don't understand that, that's, you know, what do you mean you don't know what to wear? And, and you have to have an understanding on both sides. You know, coming out of the military, you have to understand it's a different lower uh, level um, of kind of uh, uh, regulation and stuff like that. And that's when you have to take that discipline and turn it into the drive to succeed on the outside. And it's not going to be given on the outside. Right. It's something, you know, you have to work for it in the military, but it's not by time. It's not by testing. It's by what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Right. Um, you know, a question I wanted, since we're here yeah. uh, raising money for veterans and organizations like One Tribe and Mighty Oaks, for people who don't really know, obviously the big catchphrase for the last several years has been 22 veterans, we lose 22 veterans a day to suicide. What do you feel is the most important thing to get out there and for people to understand and to know about these organizations and what they do for people? So I, look, I think I think suicide in the military with, with veterans and amongst active duty is, look, we see it every day amongst all these different warrior organizations, right? Um, that they seem to lose people constantly. If you're if you're someone that's struggling, so the, the problem that a lot of people that struggle, at least that we've seen, is people are very proud. They don't want to ask for help. The other thing, and to kind of go along with the last part that you said was, you can't judge anybody by this. Because if you saw this walking down the street, you wouldn't think anything about it, nor would you have any idea of what my story is. Mm -hmm. And and sometimes, right, especially let's look at PTSD now probably plays a big part of this whole suicide thing. But but I can't tell what's going on inside of you. I can see that you're very smiley, that you're very happy, that you're great to be here. But I have no idea that maybe you have a terrible relationship going on at home or, or your, your spouse lost their job or you're just dealing with threats. We have a lot of emotional things that have happened. We had so many young people that went to war. We had so many things that happened. So I think if you're, if you're the person suffering, I think you really gotta ask for help. As hard as it is, just raise your hand, just find that one person. More importantly, in organizations like the Warriors and different things that we're part of, 
you have to look for these signs, mm-hmm. right? I spent a whole career reading people. It's what I did for a living. So I have to look and go, I see a Facebook post by Ian and I go, hmm, that's really weird compared to his other posts. Why don't I just reach out to him? Not in a group. Mm-hmm. People don't like groups. People don't like to share their news like that. So I think we have to be very cognizant of each other. We have to be each other's keepers. We have to look for those telltale signs. We have to listen to some of those keywords. Right. If you're always happy, 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 and now you're not, there's a reason why you're not. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's something. But I think if we don't ask, or we also have this problem, I don't really like to get involved in other people's personal business. But sometimes you have to. Mm-hmm. If I've only known you for one year, and, and, and that's all that I've known you, then if I, don't, if I think you have a better relationship with, let's say, Keith, then I'll call, I should call Keith and go, hey, Keith, I think something's wrong going on with Ian. Can you reach out to him? Hey, Ryan Young. Hey, some of these other people. But, but we need to really watch for each other. Right. Whatever organization you're in, whether you're in the military, whether you're not in the military, whether it's your neighbor, whether it's somebody else you play hockey with. But if we can't recognize when something's wrong, then, then, then if we don't want to get involved, then we're not very good people. Right. Because that's, you know, and, and for those that are suffering, I think they just have to look at it and say, every day I look at it and go, man, one, I wake up, I can take a breath. I'm very thankful, mm-hmm. but I have been much worse than I am now. So I always flash back when I don't feel very good. I always flash back to there I am in the hospital with a whole bunch of tubes in me. And I go, I'm not there. So let's keep on going. There has to be something within you to make you go, what's the reason? And sometimes it's just a conversation. Ian, what's your reason to be here? I got a baby. I want to see the baby get to be four years old and five years old. And I got a wife and I got this. And I want to go camping and I have a bit. All sometimes you need to do to talk to these people is to get them to start talking about that. And then the light comes on. But if they don't have that outlet, that's where we get in trouble. And, and this gets close to home to Frank and the other gentleman that we're going to speak to is we just lost one of our own six weeks ago. Huh. So this is really on the forefront of um, our minds because it just happened in real time to us. And um, with the individual, you didn't know. He showed some science to some individuals, but if, if you'd have seen him and talked to him, you would have thought that this, I mean, he was the most happy, jovial individual and we lost him. And I mean, this was it's a great close. example. Yeah, it was, it was very close. Uh, but, but when you start to look at the social media aspect of it, now let's start to look at everybody that's that's mm-hmm. responding. And now, because I'm that guy, and now you start to read what they're writing. Oh, my God. I saw him doing this. I talked to him about doing this. Right. Now you have more than one person. Now you have multiple people, and you're going, did, any, did anybody think of raising a flag? Did anybody think of, mm-hmm. because you could hear it from your wife. I can hear it from my wife. But if I hear it from an outsider, I'm like, oh, man, sometimes my wife just wants to pick on me. That's what I think. But if you hear it from a complete stranger or somebody that doesn't know you very well and they're picking up on it, sometimes it's for you to be able to say, well, I really do have a problem. But when you look at it, there was probably some signs yeah. that and, and, and we've had we've had other people that have had that same situation. They haven't ultimately ended up deceased, but we've had some people that we've recognized very successfully and said, Hey, maybe you should take a look in the mirror and right. try to fix this. And they have. So, but I think it's on everybody. I think everybody has to just look out for each other. Right. And it's really, you know, it's understanding that you have the 
personal relationships and the, the non-personal relationships that somebody can say, hey, if we think there may be an issue. Mm -hmm. But they also need to know that there's lots of, on the veteran side, that there's lots of organizations that are there for us to help. Um, and for those that are donating and those that are listening, um, it's look out, find one of those organizations. It could be time, it could be money, it could be a myriad of different things that you can step in and be part of that process yeah. to help. Well, and to your point, you were bringing up social media and kind of keeping an eye on everyone's posts and just kind of checking in. It's also sharing information like this for organizations like Mighty Oaks or One Tribe. Find something that they've posted that's helpful or inspirational and post that on your social media, even though you might not need it or you might not even know anybody that needs it, but somebody that you're friends with might see it and go, oh, I know someone who would benefit from this. I feel like awareness is such a big thing because even if maybe you, you don't have the money to help today, but you can do a social media post, that can be just as effective or it can reach someone who does want to donate. So I feel like just yeah. even sharing in, in little small ways can make such a big difference. That, that's a great point because I think you never realize how big your network is. Mm -hmm. Your network is only as big as the people within your network that continue to share it. Right. So you have no idea what those parameters are. You might only have 20 friends, but if those 20 friends each have 20 friends who have 20 friends, do the math. Right. It just yeah. multiplies. So yes, if you want to help, um, if you have... A donation that you'd like to give today, you can go to givesendgo.com slash veterans in need. And then again, last hour we talked to the Mighty Oaks Foundation and we talked to One Tribe Foundation. So you can look them up and read about the services that they offer for veterans for free, which is just incredible. And and their families and first responders yep. and our law enforcement. And um, we just I want to I want to encourage everybody to continue to honor those people because we are so grateful for your service and what you've done. And I, I asked this the last hour, too, and I would be interested to know what you both have to say about it. But on a day like Veterans Day, what do you like to hear or how can we show our appreciation? What means the most to you? Mm, nice. I'll, I'll let you lead off on that one, Frank. Uh, look. I'm, I think I look at this a little bit differently. I thank people all the time for their service. I I get a little weird when people thank me for my, for my service. I've been hearing I, that from a lot I, of veterans. I don't exactly the position I'm in. Okay. I, I hear people say, where are the places that are giving out free meals? Where are the places? I think that's awesome. I think if that's what you want to do, you more than deserve it. You probably should have free meal every day. For me, I loved everything that I did. I told you when I said it wasn't going to be fun anymore, I wasn't going to do it. So I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. I did it and raised my hand and it was complete free will. And so from a recognition standpoint, I've never really needed any. I thank people all the time for their service. Whenever anybody thanks me, you know, you'll, you'll be in, in the airport or whatever and they'll see something and, and, and someone will say, well, thank you for your service. And I'm like, it was totally my pleasure. I mean, it literally was my pleasure and my honor to do it. So, so for me, this day is more about all of the brothers and sisters that served. I, I never look at it internally. So let me ask you, this, because I, I do the same thing. Anytime I see that someone has served or they've got, you know, like a hat on that shows what branch of the military they served in, I'll tell them, thank you for your service. But if the reaction I get is typically what you're both saying, where, you know, they either feel awkward about it or, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh, you're welcome and, and not necessarily engaged. So is the better thing to do to say, thank you for choosing to serve and maybe ask them more questions if there's, if time allows, like ask them like, you know, what, what branch did you serve in or, or why did you decide to, to join the military? Is there something that kind of opens the door that makes things 
you know, I think it's, you know, it's on the interaction of the individual, right? It's, it's as you're sitting down with somebody, you know, the golf or guys, which fortunately we've got Jamie who's coming up next who actually served in the first golf war. Um, you know, it's their time of service can be a little bit different. Um, and a lot of it's the way people were treated when they came home. Uh, you look at the World War II guys and the Korean guys and they're very put together. They got the red carpet world rolled out for them. Mm -hmm. Sadly, Vietnam and our first Gulf War guys were just pushed to the wayside. Yes. You know, and some and some rights rights were, or some wrongs were righted um, with the Iraq and the Afghanistan war and the global war on terrorism. But there's still a long way to go, and it's really knowing the generational people that you're talking to mm -hmm. and how they react to what you say. And some people will be very open and other people will just shut it down immediately. Right. And it's to me, it's just based on, gotcha. you know, how they react. The World War II guys, I, I'm not lying. Every time I see one of the hats, especially if they don't look like they're quite old enough, because, you know, some of them aged really, really well. I'm always like, did your dad know you're wearing his hat? <laughs> and you'll be like, boy, let me tell. So it's a really nice opening to a conversation. But I just think you're right. If you kind of read the room, I mean. First of all, I would have nothing that said Gulf War, Army, or military like that. So other than other than being a veteran, but if you see somebody and they're wearing a hat, or you see somebody doing it, and if you just like thank you for everything that you did, a lot of times they'll be like, no problem. A, a lot of people I hear as well when somebody says that is, thank you for noticing, right? So that's that's kind of I think a lot of it is going to be on their response, right. and that's going to kind of be based on the segue on the way in. Sometimes it's just nice to be. You know, sometimes I don't say anything. I, I, I was at the airport a couple of weeks ago. I do a lot of business in D.C. And there was an old guy standing behind me in a World War II hat. And I just gave the lady my credit card. And I said, whatever he's going to eat, just let me get it. Didn't wow. say another word. I didn't do anything. And, and so when he ordered, she just said, no, I'm taking care of it. And he was like, thank you, guys. So him not knowing anything, thinking maybe the business and it was a great establishment. But for me, that was that was more than that was more than enough. That's great. This is really it's good. It's helpful advice. I love that there's lots of different ways we can honor our veterans yeah. and also help those who are struggling. So again, givesandgo.com slash veterans in need. If you'd like to make a donation, we really appreciate it. Frank, thank you so much Thanks for, for sharing me. your story. Appreciate it. This was awesome. Thanks, buddy. A lot of fun. We'll see you on the ice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great to meet you. you too. All right. So if you're just now joining us, Keith is coming back to join, I think, here in just a second. Yeah, I know but, you got to take off, right? But, uh, but once again, do not let her leave without telling her. Oh, my story. Okay, well, very briefly. <laughs> okay. I, I had a goal of trying to date someone from every branch of the armed services, but I I fell short. I did not ever find. <laughs> that a, was your life. I, I did not find a marine to date oh or that would date me. I'll put it that way. So <laughs> really, uh, but I, I managed army, navy, and air force. So I, you know. I, I didn't get Coast Guard. I couldn't work that in there. I ran short well, it's never too late. But my husband might question that. But, uh, um, but no, it was uh, it was a wonderful goal because I learned a lot about uh, about our military. So I just appreciate. Uh, I appreciate it, was a, it was a worthy goal. It was a worthy goal. So I, I want to thank all of the, uh, the veterans I dated today as well. Thank you for all the good times. <laughs> Hillary Kennedy, uh, HillaryKennedy.com. Don't forget it's 1L. 
uh, right. when you go to her website. Not to be confused with Hillary Clinton. That's right. That's right. So um, uh, thank you for making time yes, today. I really I appreciate it. so much fun. Yeah, be is, careful out there. Uh, yeah. The, Slick the rain is kind of stuff. But thank you, everyone, who tuned in today, right. too. Thank you very much. Thank and you. now we're going to have Ian slide back in here. Uh, okay. And for those of you uh, who um, are just joining us, uh, please uh, donate if you can. It's uh, givesendgo.com slash veterans in need. Um, every dollar helps. And so thank you so much for considering uh, helping us out with that today. And we are giving half the money to Mighty Oaks Foundation. Half the money is going to One Tribe Foundation. And that's it, 100%. Okay, so I'm going to let you, Mr. Ian, explain. Uh, we have three new guests here who I just know are thrilled to to be joining us on <laughs> I was thrilled until Ian sat down in front of me. I mean, yeah. He does have pants on, though. He does do have, have pants, pants on. on. We're not in the locker room. Clothing is optional. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, so, introduces, yeah. So, you know, it's nice to be a part of one of these organizations. Um, Keith actually introduced us to one tribe uh, just this last segment with Frank. We were discussing, we lost one of our own. Uh, just a few weeks back. Um, and it's how I learned about One Tribe through Keith. Keith mm -hmm. is actually um, our president for the Dallas Warriors. Okay. Uh, so, and, <laughs> and that's the Dallas Warriors hockey. Hockey, okay. which is yeah. uh, an outreach program for, you know, healing through hockey, basically. Okay. Um, and to know that these organizations are out there and how to utilize them, it's, I had no idea about One Tribe. I've been here for two and a half years, had no idea until this situation came across. Um, now, just to do brief introductions, we have Jimmy Benetto, who was a former Marine, served in Iraq, Afghanistan, and he's such an old head. He served in the, uh, the first Gulf War. Mm. He's a retired Texas State Police officer, retired Marine, and he's now uh, his own uh, business in insurance. All right, man. We have Tim Kellner. 21 years, retired uh, Army sniper. Army, yep. Mm -hmm. um, Tim has been up and down the map, it looks like, in his career. I'll let him get a little <laughs> bit more into that. I was reading his bio, and I was like, good Lord. <laughs> and Keith was a combat medic so in the Army. So we've got a lot of different yeah. and diverse viewpoints. I love it. Um, from counterintelligence and counterterrorism in uh, Frank, and Jamie was intelligent. Infantry, medic, okay. me being the only Air Force guy. There's no intelligence in infantry, is what he's getting. I thought we were <laughs> just doing military today. So, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> so, um, you know, when, when I reached out to these guys, I wanted a, a, a diverse spectrum on what people had seen and what people had done and people who were really in touch. Um, with the use and how these different organizations work because part of the problem is you know everybody's like oh, i want to give i want to give that one they don't know how to give they don't know who to give to right because there's a million and one um organizations out there and then on our side of the fence from the veteran side mm -hmm. it's how do we utilize this and get the word out and the education out that there's resources there's People you can go to. Arguably, arguably, the hardest thing is getting the, the veteran to 
want to get the resource. That's yeah. the hard part. And Jamie, you and I were just talking. This is probably a great segue. Tell us about your experience with, um, obviously, uh, with us in the Dallas Warriors and what it did for you. And it'll give a seg uh, good segue into the mind on how these organizations work and the positive impact on veterans. So um, I retired in 2013. Um, and when I retired, I told my wife that we wanted to, I wanted 10 acres of land somewhere out in the country where I can't see my neighbors and they can't see me. Um, isolation, that's, that's what I wanted. Uh, I've got goats and, and chickens for my outer perimeter to make noise. The noise creates my dogs to go, you know, get, make noise to wake me up. Um, it, it's the way it's set up. I mean, that's that's how I've been was living. Um, and then I don't even know how I heard of the Dallas Warriors. I think it was through. Um, no, I can't remember his name. I can't remember for sure. Um, but I reached out. I've never put skates on in my life. I was 50 years old, and I went out there and absolutely enjoyed it. Just being around the other veterans, um, not really hitting each other, but push each other around and falling down <laughs> at good times. We and don't felt, want to break here. I felt loved it. It was my escape um, to get out of the house and start socializing again. So it's it's definitely been um, a big deal for me. Yeah. So That's excellent, man. And yeah. Tell us a little bit about your, your service. Obviously, I just gave a brief overview. Um, you've got a Purple Heart. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the action that led to your Purple Heart? So I was with the second battalion, fourth Marines, uh, in Ramadi, um, 2004. Um, and I, I have to throw it out there before I talk about mine. Um, our unit had over uh, 285 wounded and over 30 killed. Um, the most any American battalions had since Vietnam. Uh, so it was a rough, uh, seven and a half, eight months too. It was a short deployment and still, um, overwhelming. Um, it was, uh, we were set up. One of the things I did is Intel, um, is I created a, um, uh, I actually think it's being used now more often, but it, I created what's called a a, um, a pickup site or a joint site where we had medics with us, we had intelligence with us and, and some security. And there was an overwhelming amount of prisoners being caught um, that was taking too much time and taking the inf infantry out of the game by having them drive from get, to get assistance or drive and bring them back to a facility where we had to you know vet them and, and see what's going on, see who they were and document. Um, so. It was basically a mobile setup is what I initiated. Um, and we would go out into the, during the battles and stuff, and we would set up somewhere um, and be that pickup point. Um, Puck centers? Uh, I don't know what they call them now. Prisoner under control center? Is it? Yeah, we just, with something we started um, in 2004. Um, and we were out there setting up, and we got ambushed with uh, um, eight 120 millimeter mortars that all hit within a 50 meter range. Um, and the kill radius for one of those is 50 meters. Um, as soon as they started hit with that, we had short, uh, small arms fire starting the ambush. And that's, uh, I think nine of us got hit with just mortars at, at that initial push or the initial hit. Um, and I got just took some strap from the back of the leg. Um, I got lucky. Um, but yeah, that was in August of 2004. Yeah. And when you came back here, what was the biggest adjustment for you? Um, one of the biggest things I, I dealt with is is both times or all, well, all five deployments of the combat that I did, I was temporarily assigned to a different unit. Um, so I went to that combat zone with a different unit and I came back, I was sent back to my original unit. So I had no follow-up and no no communication with anybody that I was actually serving with um, and the units I was with never deployed. So um, the isolation was hard because I had no one to reach out and talk to. 
so that was tough um and then when i retired um again i just wanted to be isolated i didn't want to socialize uh and i was just telling um, tim earlier um i was watching a movie with my wife i can't remember what it was but it was just uh, about three years ago um it was military talking about you know some guys had ptsd and stuff uh, and i looked at my wife and said aren't you glad i didn't suffer from any of that and frankly she looked at me and said that f you don't <laughs> <laughs> and that was yeah. my first time realizing that I was going through that. I had short-term memory loss. I had anger issues. I had sleep issues. I mean, it's stuff I was living with and just didn't just dealt with it. Right. Um, it wasn't until she pointed it out and that's when I knew it's time to get help. I mean, yeah. so. well, Tim, we, we kind of talked uh, earlier out in the hallway there. I know you're kind of not uh, looking forward to this part of your yeah. afternoon, <laughs> yeah. but I'm going to ask you to talk about yourself uh, regardless. Uh, tell us your story. Uh, well, it's 21 years worth, so I'm going to have to abbreviate some. Understood. Understood. Uh, came in in 96. Uh, did not plan to, but I made some bad life choices. So I uh, needed a job with some health care and some other things going on. So Army. Yeah, Army. Yeah. <laughs> you continue on that bad choice. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. He set him up. There's worth choices. Much worse. At least I have to pick my job. Oh, no. At least I knew I was dumb. I didn't have to have somebody tell me I was dumb. <laughs> We're going to pick your job for you. No, I know I'm dumb. Thanks. So uh, yeah, I joined the Army, picked a contract that had me falling out of planes because, you know, again, I'm dumb. And uh, There's up no at, jump. It's awful. It is. They say jump, but it's a lie. It's a straight lie. Yeah, I'm going to have you guys come closer oh, here. Just, yeah. uh, I want to make sure that everybody can hear you and your stories here, gentlemen. But uh, Okay. Ended up at 82nd Airborne Division at Fort Bragg and spent some time there, went to Korea, came back to 82nd, ended up deploying. Um, I was pretty decent at what I was doing, ended up in a sniper section. Uh, didn't always work with people I liked. I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, I know that feeling. Yeah. <laughs> so are we now. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, was lucky enough to get uh, loaned out. I like to use a different word, but loaned out to the cool kids like Frank, guys, I didn't know Frank, but there's other units out there uh -huh. that, let's be honest, the cool kids like, you know, Green Berets, Delta Force, stuff like that, they're great at what they do, but they don't like to go lay out in places for like three days, six days, or nine days straight when it's 130 degrees. They'd rather be working out, eating steak, and drinking Heineken. And volleyball. And volleyball. Well, <laughs> some of them. but A lot of sand, right? Yeah. So they'll come down to conventional units and like, hey, can we borrow your scouts and snipers? And they'll let us go out there. And if you have a pretty good attitude, don't mind putting in some work, don't complain all the time, they'll keep asking for you. Oh, good cool. part is when the mission's over, you get a steak and a Heineken while everybody else is eating MREs. So <laughs> I will work my ass off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I worked for them quite a bit, got treated right, um, had a not so good mission. I know you're going to go into the Purple Heart stuff here somewhere, right? Oh, I don't have it here. Okay. Oh, man. You know what? I'll find it, though. No, no, that's good. It. Uh, it's a great segue. Great uh -huh. segue. I uh, got blown up coming back from a mission after working with them. Uh, I'd helped them get a high-value target, so there was uh -huh. some stuff on their head, not mine. But uh, So we may have heard about you on the news and not knowing it. I don't know you. Like I'm saying, <laughs> high, high value target was taken out today. Uh -huh. uh, I don't know. So which which theater was this in, Tim? Oh, three. Okay, so in Iraq? Or yep, Iraq, oh, three. I kept going back to Iraq. I went to the same FOB twice. 
I ran to an Iraqi soldier uh, when I redeployed in 05 that recognized me. He's like, oh, Mr. Friend. I'm like, no, you're not my fucking friend. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Um, now this is the place I got blown up. No. Mm. But um, coming back, end up getting hit. One thing they do really well there is patternize you because, I mean, they pray five times a day. Everything in their life is a pattern. So when uh, conventional units don't listen to the SF units about being on patterns and we keep doing the same rotations of stuff like security and stuff like that, uh, end up getting hit. My Humvee did. Um, Humvee got flipped. The front vehicle looked back because it's that night. Saw there's a vehicle behind him. Cool. Rear vehicle looked forward. Saw there's a vehicle in front of him. Cool. And took off. My vehicle's mm. down over in a fucking farm field. Sorry, I cuss a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, good, man. Tell your story. It's I so woke good. up like, hey, and I got a Humvee across my lap. Uh, the other sniper that was with me was underneath the bed of the truck. Not a scratch, not a dent, not a ding, not even a bruise. I'm a little bitter. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I can understand this. All our weapons are just trashed. Like, they're either buried or broken. He crawls out, comes over to me like, hey, sorry, Kellen, are you okay? <laughs> no, I'm really not okay. This is the calmest I've ever been in my life. Like, I was the dude from uh, Big Lebowski, just like, just chill. So he digs me out, pulls me up the hill, and I'm sitting there, and first thing I do is check my junk. I'm like, okay, that's attached. Absolutely. We're good. <laughs> uh, <that's laughs> Life goes on. Okay, can we just stop for just a second here? It's can all we, perspective. Let, let's be honest for a second. When when this happens and and you suffer an attack, I mean, tell me that's got to be the first thing you check, right? Guys? Well, once I could get to it, because I had to take off. Oh, <laughs> I got a Humvee across my lap. I'm oh, like, oh, gosh. this arm's not moving. My neck hurts. I'm like, mm. oh, yeah. I, I got knocked out on the, from a foot patrol IED, um, and it's odd how when you wake up, it's you know you do your checks. Yeah, you know, like, okay, yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Check your equipment. How, how long? That. Were, oh yeah. How long were you trapped uh, before you could uh, take inventory there? It wasn't very long. Okay. He dug me out pretty quick. That's I mean, good. it's soft dirt. Uh, they bury the ID pretty deep underneath the road, so it more flipped the Humvee than anything. Mm -hmm. I took some shrapnel to the back legs and through my arm and stuff, but it wasn't that bad. Okay. Uh, he got me up the hill. Um, he's freaked out. I'm just chill because all you can control is yourself. Like, there's no reason to freak out now. I can't do anything. I can't move anything from the waist down. This arm's not working. I mean, I can move my hand a little bit. My neck hurts. Obviously, everything through here hurts. And uh, I'm like, hey, chill out. Just run back to the fob. Scream like a little girl when you get there. Let them know who you are so they don't shoot you because this is nighttime. And you don't have any nods or weapon or anything. And uh, get somebody to come back with you, please. Thanks. And uh, he goes back. And by that time, the convoy gets back to the fob because they're only about a mile away. And they realize, hey, we're missing somebody. Cool. Um, I can't tell you the next part because I don't remember the next part. Somewhere in between them getting to the fob and realizing I'm not there and him getting there and them coming back, I passed. So Passed out? No. I passed. Oh, did you really? They had to restart me. Oh, like, wow. Whatever they do to fucking bring me back to life, they wow. had to bring me back to life. Whose fault was that? Mine? <laughs> I was lazy that day. I quit. Uh, they brought me back. And the only thing I will blame the medic for is he was out of morphine. So when he did bring me back and I had to ride in the FLA, the That's little ambulance. Yeah. Medic. Medic. What an a-hole. Medic. 
just because I had it didn't mean I shared. I know. <laughs> <laughs> our Corbin gave us our own to carry. So, uh, yeah, I got the ride out of there, and um, I ended up with uh, one break to my hip, two to my pelvis, uh, eight break, breaks to my lower back. My ribs were shattered. My left shoulder blade was broken in three places, uh, ruptured spleen, torn kidney, two breaks to my neck. And, of course, I you know passed for a little bit. I'm sure there was some brain trauma, but I'm pretty sure I was messed up anyway. Um, <laughs> That's the time where he was allowed to go to the Air Force then. Oh, I see. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I would have went to the Air Force. I wasn't that smart. It uh, took me a year to learn how to walk again. That's what I wanted to ask you. Another six months to run again. And almost exactly to the day, two years later, I was back in Iraq running sniper operations as a sniper section leader. What? So With an attitude problem. I'm just going to throw <laughs> that in there. With a serious attitude problem. Now, now obviously, the trauma that you... Most people who go through that amount of trauma, and that, um, so 96 to 03, that's seven years um, from the time you went into the time you, you deployed deployed and wounded. We get some peacekeeping missions in there, you know, the Clinton era. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to Haiti. It's a peacekeeping mission. Right. What was your mindset? Because as, you, as we all know, those of us sitting around the table, you know, most guys who've gone through that level of trauma, um, one, they've either been boarded out almost immediately mm -hmm. or yep. two, they've, they've just checked out. What was your mindset? Um, because that, that's one of the important things here to continue on with the army and to, and, and to go forward, because that's not something that's easy. Obviously it's not an easy recovery, but it's not something to jump back into either. And nobody would have blamed blamed it no. for no, not at all. and Everybody. just being done i mean i have never been good at anything i do i have no natural talent i really don't you don't no i will outwork almost anybody i come across though i was not great at shooting i brought bad habits into the military with me and they had to teach me everything from scratch i'm good at learning um physical ability i was not athletic i'm still not athletic but i will that's why you're a goalie <laughs> I also skate out, but if you see me skate, it's horrible. I look like you know, Howard the Duck out there, like <laughs> waddling. I figured it, the the brain issues that he mentioned uh -huh. was why he's a goalie. Goal yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that probably is true because I am not scared of the puck at all, and I make uh -huh. saves off the mask all the time. Nice. Yeah, yeah so you, I may be maybe challenged. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, so, so really you found your calling. I just don't quit. And, well, that's what I mean. You know, your drive and it, I mean, it was kind of your calling. You, yeah, you're good at what you did, but you outworked everybody at what you did. And I mean, mentally and physically, like I would annoy you if it came down to planning something. I have a pace plan for every aspect of everything. My kid growing up, if she wanted to go to a friend's house, she had to have primary, alternate, contingency, and emergency plan for getting to egress, her friend's house. I needed duration. <laughs> I need to know what they're eating for dinner, if they're going out to dinner, or if she's eating at the house, how much money she needed to have if they're Wait going out to dinner. It sounds like I should have been in the military. <laughs> <laughs> I needed a pace plan for how she's getting home. That includes if she's going to school yes. with them the next day, if she's taking the bus, yes. if she's walking. Oh, yeah, it was bad. I, and I can't stand it when my kid says, I don't know. Well, that's well, you're, then you're, you're not going to tell me because I need to know where you are. That's a simple you're answer. Gonna, you're not going. You're gonna, <laughs> no, we're going to figure it out. We're going to yeah. write it out. Yeah. Uh -huh. She got good at it. That's good. 
That's good. That's good. So um, I may have taken a few things too far. Just, you know. <laughs> but tw- 21 years, you know, that you, you saw, you, you served 14 years after. Yep. They know. tried to put me out once. I had to do a continuation of active duty packet to stay in, which I got a bunch of like generals and colonels and stuff to, you know, give me letters of recommendation to stay in. And I got stuck at JRTC, which is a training unit. Mm-hmm. So when units want to deploy, they come in and, you know, we evaluate them. So I was going out with the scouts and the snipers and then uh, figure out what they're doing right, figure out what they're doing wrong, and then train them how to do it right. And uh, I stayed in that job for a few years. I moved to the live fire division of that and would take it through the live fires to help them get better at what they did. So I had to find a job that would keep me. Yeah. But that, I mean, that's half the battle as we all know, especially those of us who deployed in the early days, you know, there was no SOP or no, no, no rule book for what we did or what we had to do. Um, and part of the problem I always used to think was we don't train for what we see or what we're going to see. We just train to train. And, you know, having somebody like you who had real world experience and real world trauma and being able to teach people that is a level that most of us didn't get. And there was no way we could have gotten it. Um, I didn't want to share it with you. Yeah. Like, I don't want anybody to get blown up and like, hey, let's do this. Well, no, (laughs) exactly. But carrying that experience on, especially at a place like, you know, JRTC and things like that, and being able to tell these people, especially the first timers, you know, yeah. you you able to relay that on to them. Uh, hey, this is, this is like, it's like when you tell your kids, you know, you got to tell me where you're going because you could be lying dead in a ditch somewhere. You know, it's yeah. a common phrase. You say something like that to a new guy coming in the military in combat, like, oh, you're overreacting. No, it's when we say things, it's because we've seen it or it's happened and it can be that bad that quick. Um, and then obviously they, they learn that it can be that bad and that quick. So I don't want to miss out on Keith. That I know. Yeah. <laughs> Keith Wellman. Hi. That's medics are the most, I'm just, most important. I'm just enjoying the stories. <laughs> right, right. I want to know how much morphine you carried. That's what <laughs> I want to know. I had you would have never left so I, I had enough. No, uh, I, was, I was extremely fortunate. Um, I served six years in the military. Uh, I joined in 2004, so I was going through basic. All of my drill sergeants had deployments under their belts. And so my training from the beginning was preparation for combat. Um, and so I was extremely fortunate. I was attached to the uh, 172nd Striker Brigade. We were one of the first units to get extended as the extensions started happening. I remember you guys. Um, and it's because our strikers were beasts. I mean, we could take IEDs and you know, way better than a Humvee. And then they created MRAPs based on our strikers so they could have smaller vehicles. But I was extremely fortunate in that uh, the unit I was with as we deployed, we went out to Western Iraq, we went into Rawa. Um, basically, we were right there on the Syrian border. I've actually pissed on Syria. Um, <laughs> small, small note. Um, <laughs> small, and, uh, all right. small note. And, uh, and our whole mission while we were in Western Iraq was basically uncovering these caches because what they would do is they would from Syria, they would run weapons into Iraq and right. they would hide equipment and and um, and weapons all along the routes so that people could just come in, pick them up and go continue on the fight. Yeah. Um, and so our team was stationed there. How long um, was that going on before we realized it? Do you know? Oh, gosh. Let's see. Define I was, we. 
it. Yeah. <laughs> Soldiers got, knew what was going on. Leadership didn't true. want to admit to it. I got there. So I started in Rawa in August of 2005. The day before I went to Rawa, there was a 48-hour firefight that had just finished up. Uh, they were shooting at us from mosques, and all the weaponry had already been moved in. Um, but we weren't allowed to shoot back at the mosque because it's a mosque. Was um, so. Wasn't there a leader in that mosque, or is this maybe who knows how many firefights? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of times there are. Um, and so it, it, there's a bunch of stories I have of like what we've done and and what we were able to find, and then you know high value insurgents that we picked up and things like that. Um, but from a actual combat perspective, my vehicle got blown up. Um, there was one injury on the vehicle. The vehicle was destroyed. I mean, it, it didn't make it, but um, no deaths, no. I mean, the injury was like a little piece of shrapnel in the guy's calf. And that wow. was it. And it was my driver. Um, but you talked about checking equipment earlier. That's exactly what you do. <laughs> We're sitting there talking, and you know, there's me and six guys in the back of this uh, this striker, and we get hit. We're mid conversation talking about like parties in high school and all this other stuff, right? And um, you can't see anything. Uh, everything goes uh, it's like black but it's dirt right there's dirt and smoke and you can't see you can't breathe and then i got hit in the back of the head because the radio basically came dislodged and hit my kevlar um and so i'm immediately like oh shit i took shrapnel right that's my first thought so you start doing the check you legs and k and okay I'm, and oh no i'm not i'm not bleeding all right i'm good and as the medic i start reaching out across and i'm checking the guys that are next to me i'm talking to them i'm getting the, them to talk to me um and then i checked my driver and he was the only one that was injured wow um and so i i got my uh my combat medic badge from that event and then uh basically we had a mass cal where we were taking fire and it was all iraqi army that was injured um basically triaging and pulling all those guys into an aid station um and so that was that was the extent 16 months yeah, 16 months, those are the two major situations I went through, and then everything else was just routine missions. And What's the mindset as a medic working on the enemy? It's tough. It's real tough. As um, it trying to save the enemy's life? As, you know, well, it's, it's it, it, you know, it's the great question, right? Yeah. They're literally trying to kill you. Yep. Your job as a medic really is to do no harm. Yep. And, you know, the way we treat it as the United States is we are going to render aid, you know, they're prisoners, but we still render full aid that yep. our, our are no longer a threat. Get. We have to treat them. So um, what, what's the mindset of a medic going through that situation? I mean, that's, a regular soldier, a non-medic. Are they charged with the same if they're in that position? Yes. Okay. Yes. okay. Yeah. So the, the concept for the infantry is basically self-aid, buddy aid. And so they learn the basics, basic life-saving techniques, and that's it. Medics take it to a next level where we're learning, you know, IVs and crikes and all sorts of other techniques in okay. order to try and save. They're like EMTs. Basically. Mm -hmm. it, yeah, it's between like an EMT and a paramedic. And depending we're not fully paramedics. Um, we don't have the same pharmacology that a paramedic would. Okay. Um, but we have a lot of the same life-saving techniques. There's a lot of things that an, a medic could do that a paramedic is allowed to do as a civilian. But a regular EMT would not be allowed. And depending on the unit, and at least in the Marine Corps, I mean, the the teams that we went out with, we were all taught the same yep. how to start IVs, yep. how to, how to um, um, 
I incubate all that kind of yep. stuff. Um, so we can do it all. Well. Core temp. A lot core of those temp. important. Yeah. Oh. A lot of those. Uh, <laughs> a lot of those techniques are trained by your medics that are attached. Okay. So the Marines, they have Navy corpsmen who are attached to their units. Uh, their double dogs are. Their uh, their double docs are uh, you know sitting there and teaching the Marines the same things. And I did the same thing. I had, uh, had one guy on my team that was an infantry guy, had some brains, and actually could understand medicine to a certain level. Uh, I trained him up. That way, if anything ever happened to me, I knew I had yeah. somebody in my unit that could level give at least the level of care that I could. So have you been in that position where you had to yeah. take care of an enemy? Yeah, so we had a couple of situations where we were taking care of, well, not particularly an insurgent. I haven't had to actually work on the enemy per se, but in a lot of ways, the Iraqi army, a lot of those guys kind of played both sides, uh -huh. right? And you never knew, are you training the good guy? Are you training the bad guy? Are you working with the good I mean, guy? Are you working with the other thing is this, yeah. when we're talking about the mental stress that you guys are under, one you might never have, know from one minute to the next. One of my deployments was the, the MIT team, um, the military transition team, where we trained and lived with the Iraqi soldiers out in town, lived yep. in houses out there. Um, and after I went to that, I told you briefly about the the traumatic incidents we had in Ramadi, um, the 2nd County and 4th Marines. I was there a year and a half later working and training those same people, some of the same people that were killing my comrades a year and a half ago. Yep. Um, but now they're our allies. Um, I mean, we still slept with, you know, piss on our pillows, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but we lived in houses with the Iraqi soldiers and we had like one American in each house and the rest were Iraqi soldiers. So that was a, it was hard to get used to that because um, that's that political side. Now we're there, our allies, we're training them to be better. So, yeah. so um, I'll, yeah. I'll throw this out there real quick, just to kind of summarize, um, treating the enemy, enemy, they don't get the morphine. Only the good yeah. guys get the morphine. Nice. <laughs> so um, I keep complaining about that. Um, the reason he ran morphine because there was a bad firefight earlier and he had to treat other soldiers. Mm -hmm. And it was a National Guard guy that actually uh, put me back together before my medics could get on scene. And he runs a nonprofit up in Buffalo, New York now, that actually is with the Buffalo Sabres uh, Warriors. Oh, cool. So I we actually got there for a turn. We had one guy, we did one of our foot patrols when I was with McCormick. Because um, when I was with the MIT team, we just got, we didn't have vehicles. It was all foot patrols. Yeah. Um, it would be two Americans and about 12 Iraqi soldiers. And uh, we had stumbled across the house with a guy in there that was completely burned, 100% um, burned up and down his body. We oh. believe he was somebody who set off an IED and it didn't quite go his way. Mm -hmm. um, but our foreman gave him a shot of morphine because he knew he was going to be dying. Yeah. Any minute he was going to be dying. So we, we put him at ease and then kept going. So. so did you ever have suspicions of individuals that ended up being accurate? Or maybe suspicions that, that you were completely wrong on. I mean, I can't imagine that it's just not being cut and dry. Good guys, bad guys. No, it's good guy one minute, bad guy the next. Yeah. But I, you have, you have, have to have an appreciation for it, too, because um, even the most patriotic American, um, if the bad guy came in their house and held their, their family hostage and said, if you don't let us use your home, we're going to kill your family. Um, and that was a common theme out there. That's what they would do. They would hijack the homes. The bad guys would move into that home, and they would tell the you know the young man, you know, 18, 19 years old, hey, you're going to go lay this idea. We're going to kill your mom. Um, and and so, they, they, they'd wipe out generations. Yeah. Not just, not oh, just yeah. one. Yeah. They would take out generations of family. 
Yep. They didn't um, care. No, just to get their either their poppies planted or their IUD planted. So I was, uh, this is kind of not from the Iraq and stuff, but a few years back, um, 2003 timeframe, I was uh, working with the Vietnam Center in Lubbock, Texas at Texas Tech there. Um, and I was in the room, um, I was a sergeant, I was escorting Admiral Zumal, um, the former Admiral Zumal. Um, and I was in the room when the number one um, commander for North Korea, or North Vietnamese, and the second in charge um, of South Vietnamese met for the first time. Um, wow. And it was an intense meeting, and it was a respect. They're the they're enemy, 100%, but they shook hands, gave each other a hug, and it was the very first time since Vietnam that they were actually met each other. Um, and you have to have that respect for your enemy, no matter how smart you think they are, or how bad they are, or whatever. You have to have that respect for them because mm. um, they're just like you. I mean, they think they're defending their country. Um, so it, it's, I mean, it's a different dynamic that, right. you, that you have to appreciate for one thing. Uh, if I can take a moment here with Tim, um, that, that, that's not right, is it? Nope. I know. I, I was afraid of that. Nope. I, I have offended Tim Kellner <laughs> because my cheat sheet says I know where Marine Snow. <laughs> 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 I'm afraid. I wrote of down that. your plates. So, but, but, but Hillary came up with these like possible questions. Um, was there anything on here that stood out that you wanted to address uh, uh, with, with us here today? Because I saw you looking it over, and I wondered if. And by the way, what I wrote on here, I wrote a uh, Marine Sniper. It's a uh, Army. Army yeah, Sniper. Yeah, my bad. Um, he needs to know it's just so we know what he's talking about. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. I'm gonna let me uh, let me plant the sharpie real quick. I was looking as long the, as I got a crayon. I was looking the windows out there earlier. <laughs> yeah, I said there yeah. snacks. There I was go. completely lost. There we go. We're gonna fix this right now. Um, there were okay. some questions about what people should do when they first get out, um, and transitioning to the civilian world. Yeah. Biggest thing, don't isolate yourself. Yeah, that is the easiest thing to do. That seems to be the, the I did it. Yeah. I'll be honest, I don't like most civilians. I really, even now, don't like most civilians. Should I leave? <laughs> if you're 15 Slowly. minutes early, you're still late. So that civilian that shows up five minutes late drives me absolutely nuts. You and I, yeah. we're, we're really more similar than you realize. No, <laughs> I got that. But a lot of people just have that mentality like, oh, I'm just five minutes late. What do you mean just five minutes late? Yeah, right. You're 20 minutes late. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> you hear that, Laura? Yeah, I'm listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's Good. fine. <laughs> I'm personally attacked. I'm also. okay with that. <laughs> so let, let, let's talk about transition because we've all done it. Um, I've got a buddy that just retired two months ago, and he's been starting to isolate himself. He lives up in the Denton area, and I – He's the one I just I got the there. You need me to go knock on his door? I got him to come to the Warriors. Let's go. Uh, he actually played that game. He's the one who got um, the yeah, hockey. Yeah. Was sticking up for uh, our buddy. Oh, okay. So he was playing the yearly game. Okay. Yeah. He He's the one that subbed and kind of got sent home early for yeah. uh, sticking up for somebody. Yeah. Um, but he's been slowly it's withdrawing, hockey. and uh, I've been making him not withdraw. Like I've been forcing him to go to things. Um, yesterday, I just had a medical procedure done. It's just a simple thing. But I'm like, hey, man. Can you drive me mm. just to get him to go do something yeah. like now I needed somebody to drive me, but there's like 20 other people I could have called that sure. probably been easier. He has to drive down like an hour and a half to where I live, pick me up, drive another hour and a half to, you know, the VA in Dallas and then hang out for three hours while I get something done just to drive me back. But he's not sitting in where he lives by himself his yeah. 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 yeah, just to get him out and doing something. And he grew up playing hockey in Minnesota, so he loves hockey. So getting him out and playing is great, but he just slowly keeps isolating himself back into, and I just, 
keep dragging them back out. So the biggest thing is getting somebody who's just getting out from getting them not to isolate themselves. And you guys brought up one Tri foundation, which they have different components of it. Um, the 22 kill aspect is just the awareness side mm -hmm. of, you know, don't take your own life. That's why we got the rings. And then you got the, uh, on, the on the trigger finger. Yep. On the trigger finger. So that's your, you know, at your vow to stay in the fight and not mm. take yourself and spread that pain to someone else. Um, but then you have like the one tribe outdoors and I actually am a big part of that. I just don't talk about it as much as I should. Cause I get overwhelmed with all the other BS that I do. And, uh, I take people out, we go shooting, we go horseback riding, we go hiking, we go mudding, all these different things you do. It's not just outdoors, it's sports too. Mm -hmm. Hockey's a part of it. Yep. Um, and we go do these things because not everybody, you know, translates and relates and communicates the same way. So mm -hmm. once you get out there and you start doing things, barriers start to come down and you start talking. Yeah. Uh, we used to like to use, not we as in like one tribe, but veterans we used to like to use alcohol and go let's go to the bar and have some drinks yeah. and that is probably one of the worst things we could possibly do the barriers come down but then the depression kicks in because it's a depressant mm -hmm. and that somebody was my go to i was 19 years old from the gold yep. war um and i dwelled on um i was 19 and had to fill out a will um and there's two things with that is one you never really think about death of a 19 year old kid um and then two, I had nothing to my name to leave anybody. Um, so it was like, and at 19, you shouldn't have anything ready to leave someone. Uh, but it's two things that that stuck to me was like having to fill out that will for the first time um, that kind of changed my but mindset, if you will. Even, even being enlisted, um, mm -hmm. you still don't. You still consider yourself invincible. Huh? Yeah. Oh yeah. Especially oh, at 19. Absolutely. 19. absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Even, I don't know. So when I when I got out of that, um, alcohol is my my go-to. I mean, his paycheck. I mean, my paycheck is only three to four hundred dollars, you know, a week. But um, it was alcohol. It was spent. That's what it's about. And that's what one tribe tries to get you away from. Yeah. Because so one tribe uses. Um, uh, I can't remember Justin's word for it, but yeah, it's it's sometimes this, this concept of uh, basically therapy without going to therapy. Yeah. yeah. And so it, it, it's not, not traditional. It's not counseling. That's the word I was looking for. Non-traditional therapy. And so they have like wind therapy where it's guys on motorcycles. They have outdoor therapy where they're doing, you know, outdoor events and things like that. We're, uh, we're not a part of that organization, but it's the same concept with the Dallas Warriors and with hockey. It's ice therapy, right? That any time that I can get away from my day-to-day -day life, get away from what I'm doing, get on the ice and, and get to either play a game or practice or spend time with, the locker room and, and like-minded people, it's an opportunity for me to forget all the problems, it, have a good time, get some a little bit of an adrenaline rush, get that camaraderie back, and then you know at the same time turn around and help somebody. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about. Something. Just talking, yeah. just about. I mean, you talk about what you have for dinner, but when you're yep. talking to someone else about it. Your that stress is being relieved. You know, you know it, especially when you're you're dealing with someone you know and has been through it before. Yeah. The uh, second part to that is once we get through the non-traditional side, like maybe you opened up to me. Finally, we were out there shooting and you started talking to me. And um, I know the sniper stuff is what we talk about. I do have some intelligence in my background uh, for stuff that I've done, especially when I was recovering, I started doing intelligence work. Mm -hmm. um, I'll figure out some things like, okay, he's having financial troubles. He's having personal issues, spousal issues, like whatever it is, I'll pick up on it. 
they do have a counseling side to it, an actual licensed counseling center with people where you can go talk. So I'll get you in the pipeline, like, boom, you go talk to these people or if it's financial, we got this organization over here that handles finance. Mm -hmm. Like again, I get you in the pipeline of what you need help with. And that's the biggest battle. Get the information out there. It's been getting out there. It's just getting that service member to say, I need that help. And that's where it's hard. It's getting a lot better. I mean, towards the end of my career was the stigma was starting to fade away. Um, Cause you have one, it means you're weak, you, you know, mm -hmm. you need help. And two, you're afraid if you do tell them that you have some issues, then you might lose your career, your job. Yep. Um, so it, the military, at least the Marine Corps has, has changed that considerably um, because of the senior staff and CEOs at the time uh, had learned that, Hey, we need to treat this differently. So. And we all, all our different organizations, we all have a role in a different way. And, and I say that, you know, obviously one tribe, I, I, I knew nothing about one tribe until we lost Stephen Springer a couple of months ago. Yeah. Um, and, and just a tragic uh, occurrence. But Keith is the president of our organization, the Warriors. Um, immediately, we had a practice, I, or it was the sled hockey event. Sled, yeah, we, did a, we did an event with the sled stars. But Keith had the One Tribe guys come up, and we had a meeting for those of us for the club yeah. to get all the documentation. You know, there's different ways to handle things. And there's no one right way. And each of us and each of the organizations, how I view them, we all do something a little bit different, mm -hmm. but we have to continue to correlate and coordinate yep. to ensure that we can give our members a, almost, we'll call it like a total package when reaching out and if somebody needs something, because our therapy is hockey and the camaraderie and bringing the disabled veterans together. But there's things that we just can't do. Yep. And Mighty Oak, One Tribe, it's having the additional resources that yep. we can give them and vice versa that we can say, hey, we've got a guy who needs that we can help them get the resources and vice versa. And, and I think that's a that's that's exactly what happened with Spring is as a leadership organization, we realized we don't have the resources personally within our organization to supply to our members in a way that could help them if they're struggling. Right. And so I immediately called Justin and I was like, look, man, we got this situation. This is what happened. Here's everything that I know. Um, I'm pulling the entire organization together over these two days. Can you guys come out and just share your resources? And that was it. And they came out and they kind of told their story and they told what it was about. Um, and at the same time gave everybody that was there access. We recorded that and basically sent that out to the team as well saying, Hey, anybody who wasn't able to be here, we all know this is what's going on. Here are the resources that are available to you. The other thing that came from that is I had direct connection as the president of the organization to Springs family. And so I went to his wife and his mom and said, look, I know that, you know, you guys have kids. I know that there are other circumstances here that maybe you guys would or wouldn't qualify for help. Um, but one tribe is available to you as well as a gold star family. You guys have the opportunity to get resources for your kids, counseling for the kids, help them go through this situation. Cause this is extremely traumatic just for them, but it's also available to his mom and to his wife and, and everybody else. And so, um, yeah, one tribe is, is, uh, from a resource perspective has been a huge help. To us, we kind of help get people there because that 
it's kind of disguised, right? Like we're having fun, we're having, we're getting people on the ice, we're, we're all that. But then you start to uncover things, and it's yeah, like, okay, yeah. great. You know, how do we plug you in? Yeah, the ice hockey for most of it is our rehab or our therapy. Yeah, it's not necessarily a, a set up to be a, a resource for someone who's getting help. It ends up being that, but we are not, that's not the what the Dallas Warriors are. They're starting to get better. We're starting yeah. to turn it into that. But it was just a place that we could get our treatment at. Um, yeah, so I, it, I want you guys to take this occasion to um, inform people where they can go to get information on the Dallas Warriors. Um, and obviously, this 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 live stream goes out everywhere. I would hope that there are. There are similar. Oh, he's a troublemaker. <laughs> I would hope that there are that. similar, similar um, outfits in other cities. Um, whether it's hockey, maybe yeah. there's other sports. Um, is there? And that's not a fair question. Uh, yeah. So, but is, is there is there a central location where they where you could go and the best place to find information about the Dallas Warriors is DallasWarriorsHockey.com. Okay. Uh, we also have Facebook that a lot of our information gets put out on Facebook or Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a whole community of, uh, disabled veteran hockey organizations. Okay. It's all underneath USA hockey. We have our own. And you Warrior don't have division. to play hockey. Uh-huh. You don't so have to play hockey. All. No. And that's what I was looking uh, but there's, for. There's, there's 40, thing. there's 45 ish, maybe more than 45 different teams throughout the, the U S we all come together for uh, St. Louis, tournaments. Tampa Bay, like yeah. Chicago, Buffalo. Yeah. And, and just to emphasize it's the very, point. Yep. You don't have to not at all. have no. a hockey Just background. show up. I've got gear in a locker. We'll put it on you. We'll get you set up. Just show up. And play. I didn't start playing hockey till last year. I'm 46 years old. He came from anyway. 22 Killer from One Tribe. I mean, yeah. that was his connection to the Warriors. He found us at an event that One Tribe happened to be at at the same time. Yeah. So that's where that correlation and us really like working it. together and, and meshing together. Came in through on. the back door. What are you guys? <laughs> It's just a reminder <laughs> what we're doing here today. It's <laughs> we'll explain it to you a little bit later. I'll show you the locker room. OneTribeFoundation.org, the number one tribefoundation.org, if you'd like to see all the stuff that they do, whether it's whether you're a veteran that just wants to see what they offer yeah. or whether you're someone watching support. this that want to donate and support. And you before you give your money, uh, you want to see what they're all about. Same with MightyOaksFoundations.org, MightyOaksFoundations.org. And then the donations uh, can go to um, GiveSendGo.com slash Veterans in Need. 100%. One, I mean, every single penny that we get is going to these two groups. And uh, you can donate. Expensive. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can donate through uh, Wednesday, so, Wednesday at noon. Uh, tell us about your oak. Uh, um, yeah, let's hear about your mighty oak. I, I don't follow my new organization, us. Yeah, okay. Um, you know, we've had a lot of uh interaction. With well, early one tribe is our group, mm-hmm. and you know, obviously, that was my connection to one tribe was through the warriors and seeing everything that they do. But for our network and the people that are going to see this, um, maybe we need to put a little bit more out there, especially now. We're we just described one tribe, so I want to hear about right. yours. Well, okay. I'm Mike, not I'm not the Mike spokesman Oak. for yeah. Mighty okay. Oaks. Um, we have Hunter uh, Robichaux in here the first hour. Do you hand out okay. trees? <laughs> okay, here we go. <laughs> so, uh, Do you have wood? Any, uh, <laughs> not currently. Uh, so uh, Hunter was in here earlier. It, it was an hour number one. 
and he went through that. And uh, okay. it, it's um, it's a faith-based organization that really helps families. And uh, it almost sounded like, and one of the things I didn't follow up with Hunter on is, um, or maybe I did actually, um, he was talking about how they bring guys in for a week and go through how to um, like a retreat. Yeah. I kind of like that, but then they give them the tools when they go home okay. to continue down that path. And it's just fascinating because his dad, um, Chad, um, he, uh, cause I used to book guests for Glenn Beck on his radio show. And uh, that's how I got to know Chad. Oh, gosh, it was almost 10 years ago. Yeah. I think when he started mighty Oaks, and just a great guy, um, and and I believe in. Everything so they get to go in, they get assessed, and then whatever they're good at, they help them continue that. Whatever they need help with, they put them in a pipeline to get help with. It, it sounds like that, and it yeah. sounds like how you guys described um, uh, one tribe. It sounds like there's so many different areas that that, and I just that's what's so cool that I love hearing about these. One tribe is more of a networking though. Like we have everything in there. Uh huh. But when we don't have, we reach out. So there's equestrian stuff. We don't have horses, but we'll reach out to somebody who does. And that's what's so cool is that, and and correct me if I'm wrong, and just from the outside looking in, it sounds like these groups have been so successful that they can branch out Mm -hmm. through donations like Uh what we're asking for today. It it doesn't sound like it's just, you know, just boom, cookie cutter. Oh, no, no. It it really serves a whole bunch of needs to a whole bunch of uh, each, unique Each service right. member has a friend that, that will help them and, you know, go through stuff, be a, a talking board, if you will. Um, but without the right resource and without the right training, you don't know what the right answers are to them. Um, and that's where you, you have to have someone who's been around for a while. You have to have resources who are trained in that stuff to, more, to be more beneficial for them. Um, I, I never even knew about the wind therapy until about a year ago. Uh-huh. Um, I haven't tried it. Uh, my hair's not going anywhere. Um, <laughs> but there, um, there are some. I have some clients that are, uh, you know, veteran organizations, if you will, and, you know, using horses and stuff. And just um, there you go. What are these horses for? <laughs> some of them, some of them are just uh, they don't even ride the horses. It's simply taking care of that horse and bonding with that horse because they can't bond with people very well. Um, so there's so much stuff out there that yeah, you believe this guy he's showing they, off. Are they unicorns? <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, and, and that one of the things that uh, Hunter mentioned earlier with Mighty Oaks that I really appreciated that um, within 24 hours of that form being filled out by a veteran and me that's reaching out, uh, they're going to get a response, and I, I think that's really important. And I want to. Uh, again, give the National Suicide Prevention Hotline phone number. Uh, if you're watching this or you know somebody that need, I, I, let me give this number out because then I have a question about this for you guys. It's 1-800-273-8255, 1-800-273-8255, or you can send a text message to 838-255, 838-255. If you even have an inkling of a thought of harming yourself, please reach out to these uh, groups. Um and that's what I wanted to uh, to mention there um, with the suicide prevention hotline uh, and uh, uh, just that that feeling of despair um, is there. And I don't want to get personal with you guys. Uh, and that's not what I'm trying to do here. I want to ask each of you. Um, you were warned. I was warned. Oh, you were I warned. I, I, we're not going to talk about uh your, your sniper days not even that just any yeah. any question you ask yeah. you'll get an honest answer okay. no. so 
No, I want to talk about people that you know, that you served with, okay? Would you say that a veteran is more likely to reach out to something like... Anonymous? Uh, like this right here. This is like an immediate phone number that they can reach out, or are they going to reach out to a buddy? In other words, uh, do you think they're more comfortable they, talking they, they to They want to reach out to someone who's been in their situation, uh -huh. um, which is sad. So this um, may not... So so that's what I want to yeah. ask. That's 50-50. It, it is. Okay. I'd say they, they would like that. Um, I think we... I think there's if they if they had two phone numbers in front of them and they knew this was a veteran organization and this was just a hotline okay. to get help, I think they'd pick the veteran first. It doesn't mean they won't pick this one because actually but, it was but would they come to you guys as someone that they already know, or would they call a veterans group first? In other words, are you the first line of defense I would saving like to your think, buddy? So, I would like to think they'd reach So out. I'll give I'll give a real world spring. Okay. Um prior to spring. Okay. Uh, we had somebody within our organization. 5.30 in the morning, shoots out a message in our player's page. It's like, guys, I'm not okay. I need help right now. We had six or seven people that happened to be up and moving around at that time. All of them jumped in, dropped their phone numbers. And then from there, immediately, people within the organization are already messaging them on Facebook Messenger. They have his number. They're texting him. But it went it, after he sent that message. He basically passed out in my sleep. It, we went five hours with no... No feedback. No feedback. Yeah. Nothing from him. So as a oh, as an organization, we're immediately starting to like ring the bells, right? Like, what's going on? You know, we got we got this situation. This is what's going on. Um, we get a hold of the guy, and he's like, "Sorry, guys, you know, I passed out, but I know that you know everybody's worried about me. I'm good, etc." But we still had somebody who drove two and a half hours to get out to his house, hung out with him for a couple hours. We got him connected into one tribe. We ended up, and I personally called Justin. I'm like, dude, I got a guy. I need help now. Like, I don't need help tomorrow. I don't need him on a list. I need him now. Um, and, you know, they accommodated and go through. But that first step was him realizing the thoughts that I'm having right now aren't productive towards my future. And I've got a resource and I've got friends that I can reach out to who have been there and know what I'm going through. But also, I know that somebody is going to be there to answer the phone. And it might, it's worth mentioning that um, and as a retired police officer, some I'm aware of, um, it is a, a common thing for us to get a call from a, someone out of state or from a, a different, you know, a few hours away to do what's called a welfare check. Yeah. Um, and we did it all the time. And it was nice when some of us were veterans, we tried to do it because um, you got a lot more response from that veteran, um, anybody in the public that was needing assistance. But um, it, some people don't know that the police officers will go out there and do a welfare check and they have the same thing. They'll get a hold of the dispatch say, Hey, we need a resource for this guy. Now we need to hold the VA or get a, get a hold of this resource, whatever. And we link them up. So it's, it is a common thing. If you don't know about it, contact your local police department. If you need to get somebody to go check on somebody huh. physically, you have to understand you can't save everybody. Yeah. Some people, uh, there's been people through one tribe that we've helped repeatedly and they still took their own life. Like there's nothing we could have done. We got them in the care they needed. They had drug problems. They had alcohol problems. They had so many problems. We helped them for years. We put them in program after program after program. And still they uh, used not a firearm, but they used an alternate means to take their own life. Like there's nothing you can do about this reckless behavior they used. Just there's, and, and you can't save everybody. Herein lies the million dollar question, you know, that's that that's it right there how do we reduce that you know 
because there are some there there are guys out there, girls out there who they see no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and you may not know, you know, you, on, on an intelligent side, you know, Frank Demo made a great point. You know, you post X, Y, and Z all the time on your social media and you post something that's just a little bit off and nobody else noticed it and made a, made a thought of it. And, and that was your cry for help. Um, and it went unnoticed because it was just a little bit. And, you know, but you can continue down that reckless road or that reckless thought process. And how do we try to reduce that? Um, and it is a sad reality that we can't help everyone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I and think was, that was it. I mean, as the 22, the name there was 22 a day, but it's gone up, I think, like 40 percent. Really? It fluctuates. It's, it's, yeah. it's at about 55 a day right now. Um, it came out about I think I sent that to you, Keith, about six weeks ago where the government severely undercounted it by almost three times oh, and it, it equaled out to like 55 or 58 a day. We've lost more from suicide than combat. combat. Okay, yeah. so as veterans, let me ask you, maybe you don't know the answer to this and maybe it's individualized with every person that serves. Is it as simple, can you answer, what is it that pushes, is every case different? Yeah, everyone has a breaking point. Yeah. Um, I, I use the term breaking um, loosely. I mean, it's but is there some systemic thing that the government maybe is? Because I feel that the okay, so I, it goes I feel, it goes back long before modern wars. Yeah. I mean, you have okay. stories from you know World War One from all the way Shell back shock. to the yeah, all the way back to Civil War, and you know the they've had different names for it. The concept is basically PTSD. But there's a lot more to it than just standard. I mean, post-traumatic stress disorder can be caused by anything. You could have a car crash and that creates post-traumatic stress disorder. And now you're afraid to ever sit in a car again. And now you have these PTSD flare-ups based on the environment that you're in. Um, it's not a unique military so, diagnosis. But what you're talking about is actually uh, something that's been around and, and you know, there hasn't come an answer to is it different per person? Is it the same? Are there similarities? There's a lot of different things that play into it. Um, but it, the concept is we're not designed to kill each other. And the other dynamic is, is you add the variable of military members, uh, men and women alike are, are so competitive in nature and think that they're so, I mean, you gotta be confident. You, 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 I may not be able to to win every fight, but when I'm, I'm going to walk into that fight thinking I'm going to win it. Yeah. Um, and if you're that that mentality, you're so strong. You can just say, as soon as you have a weakness, it's that much more detrimental um, in thought um, that that you're weak weaker than this person over here or that person over there, and that that just drives in on you because um, you're supposed to be a strong man. You know, um, generations, age is different. Mm -hmm. um, I, I just the, I just had another thought. The military does a great job of creating soldiers. They don't do a great job of adapting soldiers back to civilians. But they are there are improvements. They are working on yes. it. Yes. Oh, really it's are. absolutely a known There's problem. And and there are a lot of resources outside of the nonprofit yeah. organizations, like within the military and within the, the leadership in the military that are trying to solve that. But at the end of the day, when you're 18, 19, 20 years old and you're being trained to take a life, it's really hard to take that person and train them back to compassion mm -hmm. and, and and civilization. 
I think it's a little bit more than that. Um, you're not just taking life, though. It's complete, I don't want to say disregard for. Your job is a little different. I understand yes. this. If I got shot at, I didn't care. Mm -hmm. I'm taking fire. I'm going to take cover so I don't get hit. But I'm not taking cover to protect myself because I'm worried about getting hit. I have this false sense of in, uh, invincibility. Mm -hmm. It's just in me. So my disregard for my own life is also a disregard for your life. Like I care about my soldiers not getting hit because we have to accomplish the mission. What? I'm not worried about you because, oh my God, oh, don't die, buddy. Like they show in the movies. No. It's get your ass up. We need to go take this threat out. We learned that one of the tactics. It's a little different. One, so one of our tactics. That it's we a got, numbing almost. We would, we would, if we sat for anywhere from 25 to 30 minutes was the time frame in one position, um, then the enemy would have time to group up because they didn't work. They just weren't, you know, force marching looking for enemy. They were doing jobs. They're in someone's house ever, and they realized we're there for 15, 20 minutes. So they're going to set up, get a couple of guns out there and try to snipe at us. So we learned that after about 20, 25 minutes in the same place, we could draw some attention. I don't know how many times we took our helmets off on the top of the roof and just sat there and waited to draw the enemy out because it was an adrenaline. And I don't know how many times I've been chased across the rooftop of the house. Wow. I mean, and it was just. And, and think about how we're built, right? Every single one of us, and we're a little bit more old school. We went in before necessarily softened a little bit. And some Speak for yourself. Things came <laughs> in. I mean, Tim, Tim and Jamie got me beat. I didn't come in until 2001. Um, but the concept of basic training back in those days was to absolutely rip you down to a shell and rebuild you in the form that they wanted. Mm -hmm. However... When we got out in the Air Force, it was called the Transition Assistance Program, TAPS. When you went through TAPS, they taught you how to write a resume eh, and patted you on the back, handed you your discharge paperwork, and you were out the door. There was no transition. There was no, I think they call it skill soft now or skill set, where now they're allowing people to get out technically six months before Um if you do a, a job, so if you get a, yeah. a, what do you call it? Apprenticeship almost. I forgot what it's called. Exactly. Yeah. But now they're trying to ease you into the transition. And you start transition two years out now. It used to be six months. Okay. Six so months before you retired. Now. And then you're like, start going to these uh, appointments and they teach you how to write the resume. Cause it's like one day every week that you go there. Before and you start we the process. Zone, we have to, we pretty much had to um, keep, uh, decompressed for two weeks oh wow you we went to because i we didn't live on a base we go back to a base and we had no responsibilities other than getting up and eat and talk to each other and they had some counselors come in and talk to us and that was prior to even leaving country wow um, so that was a huge impact that's something we didn't do in the gulf war we didn't do it the first time i deployed iraq um i didn't get that neither did i yeah, yeah. No. And, well maybe it's because of the mid teams i mean because we were yeah. we were which, embedded with which the, deployment was that 2006, all of you, there, yeah. then it's, there was only 12 of us on the team, we, like yeah. someone who lived out in the houses. Yeah. Um, so we weren't allowed to go home until we had that two weeks of decompression. So uh, again, one last question, same one for each of you uh, before we wrap this up here. And I'm going to start with you, Jamie. Um, if there is, uh, you're all going to get this. So uh, if there's one message that you could give to civilians like me, what is the best way we can support our veterans because today's veterans day but i'm talking about the other 364 just generally speaking what can we do to support you guys who have sacrificed so much well the cliche is you know get the word out there um 
one of the things just this morning, I'm, I'm with the I'm the, the VP for the Dallas Veterans um, DFW's uh, Veterans Chamber of Commerce, and they were talking about you know there's restaurants out there getting free meals and stuff like that. I never knew that. Wow. I, mean, I never even considered so hey, getting that message out. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that's that's kind of helps some veterans, but to me, it's these restaurants. We appreciate that. That's awesome. But in, maybe instead of doing that, donate. Um, even if it's only, you know, one veteran meal is 50 or 60 bucks for, you know, a, a couple, if you will, instead of spending that 50, 60 bucks, now you take them with the veterans, but put it into a resource that can help them long-term, yeah. not just for that next meal. I see. Um, so maybe consider that. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm probably the worst person to ask. <laughs> yeah. Mine's simple. I would just like the general public to be more honest. That's all. Like my whole thing about being late or not cutting me off in traffic. People make mistakes. Don't give me the double bird. Wave and say you're sorry. We're cool. Like just be more honest. Don't lie to me about what time you're going to be here. Don't, you know, do this, that, and the other. Just be a better person. If it's for one day, one week, one month, just be honest with the general public. Uh, it's, it helps us communicate better with the civilians. It helps us integrate better with them, um, work with you. If I have a job where I have to work with civilians, they're like, hey, I'm going to be there. Like, cool. I know you're going to be there. I can trust you. It's just, I just real, want society to be a little bit better. Real quick to add to that as a, a resource, you don't have to be a veteran to recognize that a veteran needs assistance. Everyone knows a veteran. Mm -hmm. If you see someone presenting those signs or not communicate with you much anymore, get a hold of another veteran to reach out to them. Um, you can be a resource as well. So, sorry. yeah. Yeah. Sorry. My, my addition would be to continue to support the organizations like one tribe and mighty Oak and, and Dallas warriors. Um, but I, I would say on the, the 501 C three side or on the, the veteran nonprofit side, look into the organizations that you're supporting and make sure that they're doing real work with veterans. There's a lot of organizations out there that basically they're accumulating a bunch of money and then they may or may not be dispersing all of that money. And I'm so glad you said that because these two groups were specifically intentionally picked. They weren't randomly drawn out of a hat. These are organizations that I know are run by good people that do good things for our veterans. Absolutely. So, but, but I absolutely, but, that's, it, but there are be... some groups out there that have the name that actually is out there on top of mind. Yep. That aren't yep. necessarily do your homework. They exactly. do 10% and they talk about the rest. Yep. Yep. And so it, that would be my, like, if I was to talk to just any civilian and they're like, Hey, how can I help more? Mm -hmm. Right. Find an organization that you believe in, that you can connect with a real person and talk with them and understand what it is that that organization does with the money that you're giving and just continue to support those organizations because they're making a big difference in the day-to-day -day lives of veterans because they know that the veterans they're connected to. Yeah. In our situation, we have 200 members within our organization. We don't necessarily have, I may not personally as the president be able to reach out to every single person, but within the organization, it's all a web and we're all connected to each other. Understood. Well said. Before you go, can we guys, can we see <laughs> the Dallas Warriors play? Like, can the public come yes, and watch you guys? Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So we have a, um, we have a recreational team that plays Sunday nights out of Farmer's Branch. Okay. Um, it kind of varies. You know, we don't play this Sunday. Next Sunday we play at 515. Okay. 
Um, you can find it online. Those are welcome. Jump on that one because a lot of times they're at 930, 1030 at night. So yeah, 515 is a great time. What's the website for Dallas Warriors? DallasWarriorsHockey.com. The schedule's online. You can look at cool. Farmers Branch, Texas. The uh, was it Children's Children's Health Star, Star Center. Health Star Center. They'll have the schedule up. You can look it up. Come root for us. Will you sign it's a free. hockey puck for me if I show up? Sure, but it's gonna be ugly. <laughs> I, I mean, if, it's, if it's worth it, I mean, I, I'd like to throw the shout, shout out to Dallas Warriors, the hockey team. That I mean, they sponsor a lot of stuff and they help a lot of, um, especially youth. Yeah. Um, they, they're great with it. So. Obviously, and they're yeah. the stars. I mean, I'm talking about stars. Sorry, Dallas Stars. Yeah. Dallas um, stars. Okay. Do we know yeah. them? <laughs> um, that's why I made. I mean, yeah, they, they the Dallas Stars hockey program is great for kids, okay. um, and they they've really grown hockey in Dallas. There's okay. 22 sheets of ice throughout the Metroplex. Wow. A lot of people don't realize that. Wow. Uh, you can almost throw a stone and hit a hockey rink now, that's and it's, really it's pretty cool. awesome. That's a lot different um, than when I was a kid, man. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is great for the hockey community. Um, but yeah, we do that, and then uh, occasionally we'll do charity games. Okay. So if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, we'll do local charity games okay. uh, where we'll play each other. We'll play like the Forward Patriots or you know, we've played DPD and um, we'll go out DFD, the the uh, sled stars, yep. sled stars, Dallas so stars. They can get ice time and let those guys beat the dog so, out of us. Those are <laughs> those are great ways to just find us, and, okay. and if you plug into our our Facebook, we announce those events as they come out. Come out and watch us play. Dallas. We're not the Dallas Stars. No, nope. we don't skate like you that. don't skate like that. It's okay. not quite that fast, but it's still fun to watch. DallasWarriorsHockey.com. Yeah. yeah. All right. What's your message to us civilians? You know, mine kind of tallies off of what um, Keith said. And uh, once you find that organization, champion it. That's the thing. You know, it, it's good. Yeah, the donations are good. We, you know, we all need money to operate and we all need money to run. But guess what else we need? We need people to champion our cause yeah. and the causes of the organizations. But also to come back, come out and help um, with the different events or things like that. Really be a champion for the organization that you select. Mm. You know, if you believe in it, put the word out there and, and, and go and go for it. And I'm not saying you got to be a part of every event or everything, but post it on social media. Right. You know, tell your friends, tell your people that you get know. The word out. Yeah. Get the word out and really, you know, if you believe in it. Um, go after it because we need the help and, and all the organizations, we all do something different, but we all equally need the help and need the backing of uh, donors, volunteers, it, you know, and sometimes it's just somebody to talk to, uh-huh. and, you know, take, business leaders to bounce ideas off of. Sure. You know, take, take it, take it for what's worth. You help an organization like this. You are literally saving someone's life. life. Absolutely. You literally are saving their life. Wow. Well, gentlemen, I mean, this has been enlightening, and I'm just grateful for all the time that you gave. Um, You're a terrible liar. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, no. You said you're paying, you're, you said you're paying us. I, no, no. no. Oh, no. Laura's writing the checks out there. Um, He's not a liar. He's just disingenuous. <laughs> what in the wow, world is happening? The Rose okay. Keats show. Uh, so, um, until Wednesday at noon Eastern, we're going to leave the donation link up if you would like to do your homework between now and then and go and look at Mighty Oak Foundations, uh, dot org or uh, one, uh, one Tribe, the Foundation. number one, yep. one tribe org, 
and uh, see where your potential donation will be going and what specifically it will be doing. I mean, both of these websites break down all of the things that, I don't know, Tim's got a question. The mute button's on. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, and so um, please um, uh, share that, as you just said, share that link between now and Wednesday. And then on Thursday is when we're going to give the money to the two organizations that you have provided so generously already. Thank you so much. I haven't even looked in a while. It's it's thousands of dollars. I mean, you, you y'all are so great. Thank you so much for for giving of yourselves and and uh, being a part of this. And gentlemen, thank, thank you, you for coming down. Thank you. Thanks uh, for I the appreciate invitation. the time of everyone here except for Tim. How I just that for, <laughs> how's that for being genuine? I All just right. came for the snacks. <laughs> uh, it's gibsongo.com/slash uh, veterans in need. Thank you guys. <laughs> the sniper. <laughs> <laughs>